Welcome everybody to the Faking Notes Podcast, boy and girl and sentient human (laughs) and algorithm. Algorithms especially. Uh, So yeah, so our next guest, I mean, you're going to love it. It's a huge conversation. We actually had to just straight up stop it. You know, two hours in because it was it was it was too good, and we're we're so like good. it's it's getting late. This is our first late night. Curfew's going. <laughs> I got a curfew. I gotta go home. The National Guard. <laughs> the National Guard is trying to it's shut down show. this conversation, yeah. and that's both. Uh, it's very some very dark humor. Everyone, stay safe out there, and we we talk a little bit about that. But oh, dude, I mean, I, you know, it's so funny. We could. It ended so abruptly too. I wanted to just thank him and just like have a chill like goodbye. And when you have conversations that just kind of live and breathe, whenever you end them, it just is always just. I know. It's, it's, it's like you end a life. The breaks. Yeah. We, you know, we should keep this in. It's like the post log, and then we'll yeah. we'll do an intro. Just because I mean, like I said, like this is one of the ones like I've been keep keeping loose track of this guy's career off and on because he comes from my sphere, my really weird niche contemporary classical composer sphere. And I'm always looking to go out and do something different. And he's the textbook example of someone who's done it and really dived in. It wasn't a, it wasn't a dipping the toe. He jumped head first and he, he made it through the struggles, but he knew what he wanted and he, he he's fucking done it. I love his stuff. I love his stuff. But yeah, that, that could go <laughs> on forever. We had to, we had to, we had to end it because otherwise it'll ne- it'll never end. But we're, we'll definitely have him on again. We went into some really. What I loved most about this mm-hmm. conversation was like it wasn't just the two Juilliard nerds who can't fight. It was, yep, it wasn't just new, the two of line. us talking. About, it wasn't us talking. Just the two of us talking about like what classical music institutions get wrong or mm-hmm. what. Uh, is what how they're failing their audiences, but it, it was just he had such a fresh perspective on it. And uh, as somebody who has ignited the interest of classical music institutions by working outside of them, uh, he, he's really the embodiment of like a philosophy that I've I've current I've adopted since I, I've left school. So it's just really cool to hear and have somebody who's now part of the faking fam, like of this mindset. In particular, it's like he's he's not new to this. He's gone out, yeah. he's thought about this, he's executed it, and he's years into it. We've seen the the fruits of his labors and what that's done, the Multiple struggles, EPs. who he's got to warn with successes, failures, and he's very open about it. And I think he's he's the voice we need and kind of I don't I don't have Help a good us. example. Johan Lennox. Help us, Johan Lennox. Your only hope. <laughs> You've turned off your production computer. <laughs> but he he he's he really has actually gone out, done it, and is finding success and is speaking about it. He's someone who will send the ladder back down. Um he's going to he's going to share space on the door of the after the Titanic sank for us classical musicians. And by leaving leaving by leaving classical music, you very well could 
uh, I want to say, I don't know about like the tokens of save classical music, but he could affect classical music and maybe have a bigger splash in that sphere by not being in it than he ever could have been just staying the course. Mm-hmm. So hats off, mm-hmm. hats off to him. So, um, all right, everybody, you, so you can check him out. Uh, I mean, we're going to have all the links in the description, but just go to Spotify, yes. Johan Linux. Yeah. Like, look it up. He just crossed a million on one track. So just add it all together. He's probably, I don't know, two, maybe two million total. That's so uh, many people. Do you understand that that's a thousand? That's a thousand thousand. thousand? That's, that's right, an, guys. Math. A thousand, he thousands. has a thousand thousand on just one track. And all these things are dope. All these things are really fucking dope. And like I listen to them like genuinely. I've shared them. I, I trick people. I put it on the playlist and listen to them. <sighs> and I see if they're like notice that it's like anyone we'd know or who would be from you know my we- our weird little classical music sphere they don't they just think it it just blends right in because he's done it he's done it they're like wow this is good I'm like yeah it is um, for so, nine yeah. months i had a playlist on spotify and i had a bunch of his music there was a point like when i first moved here we did a couple of acoustic covers of some of his songs uh one of them was uh uh, uh everybody's everybody's cool but everybody's me. cool but me yeah um and we've done a couple other ones but ever since that and i started listening to his music i added it to my playlist so when people would be over i'd be playing my playlist and his stuff would come up and everybody would automatically the vibe would change in such a dope way everybody like knew what it was when his music comes he's on to he's on to sound i mean it feels if it it doesn't feel like an any any type of imitation It it feels like him and it's, it's got all the hallmark, hallmarks of a sound. And he's he's dropping dropping music left and right. He's got two mm-hmm. EPs out recently. 2019, everyone who's cool but me. And then now Cancel the Party. Cancel uh, they're kind of somewhat companions. And then even beyond that. So I was like, how can this dude have this much music? And next thing you know, he's got <sighs> Reckless dropping. And I was like, oh, my might God. might even have a certain uh, project coming up with his record label at some Ooh, point. So sweet. Keep your, so, your so, so, guys, keep, keep him out. All right. Our next guest is... Johan Lennox. Pulling up in too expensive clothes. Switching up the money for the blow. They still spending money, I stay home. Maybe I'm just missing something. What do they know? Does anyone know? Walking the event like they all got the invite. Everybody's cool but me. Oh yeah, do you want me to do my real name or my That's actually our second question. I usually go by my yeah. stage name. I guess it depends who's mostly I think maybe for well, this you just say both. I mean I feel like Yeah, the, we'll interchange like it's Steven Feigenbaum and I go by Johan Lennox. Beast. Uh, as my pop project. Because anyone who knows me from classical will that might be news to them if they haven't been Dude, well then they haven't been they haven't been paying attention. Sure. So perfect. Let's go. let's just freaking jump right in. There you go. <laughs> Yes, he's I'm ready here. For it. Oh my gosh. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Faking Notes welcome Podcast. Welcome to the Faking Notes Podcast. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. We've got our and drinks. Welcome. This is a drink edition. 
Oh yeah, it's late. We have a oh, guest yeah. here. It's uh, faking notes after hours. It's it's later in the day. We usually do it in the morning. But uh, uh, our guest. I didn't even uh, make a drink. Maybe I should do that too. Bro, yeah, that was the whole thing. You were the one. I know. Who was I said like, yeah, that. Let's get some whiskey. You got to do. Yeah, the, man. Yeah, you want to go grab something? Get get some Miro. Sure. Get home. All right. It's okay. I'm just gonna go leave it on something. now. Yeah, just oh, leave it on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come back. Yeah, thirty seconds. <laughs> I love this. That's good. Cool. We'll let it run. But yeah, we we I drank up. I got one of those. It's like a gift. What are you sipping on? What are you so sipping it's one on? One of those like on? half like you know fill your like glass and like this is ice. It's supposed to be for whiskey, but I'm I'm ginning it. What you, so. is that? Water? Gin? Gin? Trevor? Trevor's I don't know gin? why. Yeah, like two years ago, something happened, and because uh, all I did was drink whiskeys. The color of this. And now I just drink gin. Oh, that's beautiful. Ooh, what is that? What are you working just with? Just a bro? bunch of bitter. Bitter liqueurs. <laughs> so, no, so speaking kind of a mixology. The bitters. Yeah, let's, let's talk yeah, about some Amaro now. We've got an expert. Amaro. Amaro, like red bitters. Yeah, it's great. We can get into that if you want. This is <laughs> yeah. It's called an Americano cocktail. It's like an Italian thing, but it's very loosely defined. Dang, how'd you get into that? How'd you start getting into like uh, the mixology? I was on... Um, I had a friend who ran a bar in, in New Haven, Connecticut, where I yeah. went to school for mm-hmm. six years. And and he had a cocktail that had this shit called Chinar in it, C-Y-N-A-R. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked that drink and then kind of forgot about it. Uh-huh. And then one day I was at my friend's house and this kid, Ellis Ludwig Leon, who's a composer in New York. Oh, yeah. And I know he used him. to work for Nico Muley. And I think Nico Muley is actually like decently big into bitters, too. And he had gifted Ellis a bottle of Chinar. And I spotted it in the cupboard. I was like, oh, you have that shit. And also, he's like, yeah, I don't really like it that much, but you, you do want it. And so I like sipped some of it. And that whole night, was, that was the first time I ever had it by itself. And I was like, oh, shit's really good. Uh, wow. That was dude. the beginning. That was years ago. Well, how years many? Aren't you, you've like crossed what, like 100 or? Cause I know you do 200. I'm 199. I was going to have a party for my 200. Like I was going to, but now that it'll be a month before that happens. But yeah. <laughs> now you're, you're saving. You just won't try it. You won't try. You got to, I mean, I could probably go to a liquor store and find like, there's always some new random one that like somebody's making in Seattle now that they have, or like, there's always some shit you could probably find if I wanted to just cross it. But like, I wanted it to be a ceremonious thing and I didn't do anything special for a hundred or 150. So. Yeah, because how often do you do 200 of anything? So that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and also, like, who in their right mind keeps a list of this shit? <laughs> <laughs> We're in the internet actually. age. Nothing, nothing. You got the, yeah, you got the Google sheet with your comments. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, happily. Yeah, if you ever decide you want to get into this, uh, happily share your Google Doc, <laughs> the sheets, yeah. Bro, you should put in your uh, Instagram bio. Just put it on your link tree, man. Yes. <laughs> Very, it's very yeah it's narrow it's narrow interest uh <laughs> it's pretty niche it's yeah for the it's super a- fans man mm-hmm. so i mean i'm really curious um i've heard wind of because i live with people that went to yale uh, uh winton grant violinist uh mindy ella chu uh oh, yeah, vocalist. Yeah, they yeah. they're in his house right now so. yeah like I've, she's downstairs <laughs> like she we're drinking this rose like nice. earlier this afternoon but uh she wanted to say hey and so did winton and all the yaleys that come through this house but i remember one of them or maybe it was you or maybe i saw something on instagram you said that you were in you were at bowden in 2010 deep cut 
Yep. Yeah, I was too, bro. <laughs> That's I really weird. Too. How would I? Oh no, you were. No. Did I play your? I'm. I had this sneaking suspicion. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, yeah, I'm not gonna. There, there, there's this no. other kid who's also a black violist named Bryant who was there at the time, wasn't he? Bryant, right? Yes, I know him because <laughs> he, we were. He was like the big viola dog before me. That's kind. Know? I feel like I remember him. So maybe, maybe yeah, no, my he, like he passive race, racism probably. For, yeah. No, it's like it's like oh, that's the black violist guy. <laughs> it's terrible. No, <laughs> Bryant is can only the, be one. was the star child. Man, he Got was. It. Well, he was, so I was- He was the goat. He was pretty young, I think. Maybe not. Really? I, yeah, because I am I'm I was a senior in high school. Uh, I was about to start freshman year of college. Yeah, and I think there was, like, an aspect of, like, the younger group and the older group kind of, like, not mixing so much. Or actually, it was very, I think it was specifically defined as over or under 21, because that, yeah. that was the real concern was the kids were- yep. I was in the under 21. And I was exactly 21, I think. So I feel like I was, it was very awkward for me because I definitely had friends who were like 19, 20, whatever. I know. And then a lot of the people who were much older than me were like married or whatever, just on a different kind of <laughs> thing. So I feel like I was a little bit trapped. And it's that like, you'd want to hang with kids, but then certain kids would be like, all right, curfew for us now. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so Julia like Dennis was one of them, right? I remember her from there. Yeah, that's how yes, I got that's when her. I met her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I met her the first time. She's, she had a very like dark like tone. I feel like, as I recall, oh, yeah. she's very like sort of just unhappy. Not not unhappy, but sort of like too cool for school or some weird, you know. Yeah, dude, I we told all her that, had later, that yeah. man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> tell it to her face. No, but you know, she's doing so many great things in New York, and that's how it came up. I recently was when the pandemic shit went down. I had a phone conversation and you came up because she had seen that we'd done some work together and she wanted to say hi. So Julia says, hi, bro. I finally got there. Yeah. We, we like respond to each other's Instagram stories sometimes. So <laughs> hey, that's, in touch. that's, she love. played that's in, she played in the New York, like Yeatoven show and shit. Mm -hmm. Whoa. And she actually played when I, when I needed a quartet for Vic Metz on the Colbert show. I had mm -hmm. her in that too. Mm, I remember watching that. Homie shit. Huh? On the keys, playing on the keys. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I feel like we have so much to talk about. So of course now we're all in LA. So so I I came to LA maybe just two or three months right before Drew, and so we'd always talked about doing this whole podcast thing. He came over and we're recording. We're thinking about <laughs> guests, and and Drew's playing. He's he's playing in like in backup groups and doing more shows, like things you do out in LA. And I was sitting there, I was like, oh my god. I got to introduce Drew. I was like, I don't really know him, but I got to introduce Drew to Johan because you were having people come play strings mm. on all your tracks. And I was like, Drew would be perfect for this. And so Drew comes over to my house on like, on like a Wednesday to record one of our first episodes. And I'm like, okay. I was like, I don't, I don't really know him well, but like, I got to set this up. This is perfect. And Drew comes in. He's like, we're chatting. He's like, dude, I met someone you need to talk to. Uh, we, we, we just had tacos. His name's Steven. <laughs> like, you, you got it you got it. i was just like son of a bitch i was gonna i was gonna be hooking drew up i think yuga maybe told me about about you first drew but, but i remember yasmin was like this this woman i guess yasmin albazidi yes man yeah of course who uh yeah plays in a lot of shit which is randomly i think posted about working with you on something and i was just like oh, i want to meet that dude so she actually connected me to you at my request for that initially yeah 
Yeah, man. And I think we 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 did get tacos at one point, but our first meeting, I think, was like we got was it pho? And I remember oh, yeah. it was like in uh Oh yeah, Silver I was Lake. like drunk and shit. <laughs> and I like drove you to your I drove you back to the spot after the after Yeah, I really appreciated that. Dinner. That was yeah, yeah why was that was a really weird circumstance. I feel like that was one of those plans that was kind of like up in the air right until the minute before it happened or something. Yeah, man. It was like, hey, you we still good for tonight. You're like, oh, we're like, oh yeah, let's let's make it happen. Yeah. Um because oh, I remember distinctly, because you were like, Yeah, Charles Gambino like has property around here. And I was like losing my mind. Yeah, I've so seen him walking around <laughs> somewhere like before. Oh, that's crazy. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Donald. Donald, bro. I'd like to meet him. I think it'd be cool. What part so about his is it is his intelligence? Like, what yeah, he about, just seems like really, yeah, just very uh, strategic, I guess. You mm-hmm. know, and it's like various career moves and how they all intersect and like, and I, I definitely how there's so many. Yeah, like you know, he. I mean, I might have the order a little bit wrong, but basically, he had the rap thing, and. Yeah, the internet comedy channel. And then I mm-hmm. think from the internet comedy channel, he got the job writing for 30 Rock and then mm-hmm. was on, which show is he on? Uh, community, community, right? He was on Community and he, was dro- he dropped his first album. Right, so then the music like, was starting to build, but it wasn't even necessarily connected back to that. But then like, mm-hmm. I think that's like the, his fame from Community helped, like the stand-up helped him get on Community. His fame from Community helped the rap shit take off, which then helped him like tie that back and get like, Atlanta, which I think kind of is the culmination of everything. I don't know if that's where the the metal like Ludwig Gordonson scored Community, and then worked with that. him on This Is America. I did not know that. What a wild! Who'd have thought? Like all these people, <laughs> like yeah. he's so young too. He's he's crushing it. But I found that yeah no, but I found that like that. I don't know. I guess like my the the reason I started doing commercial pop music was because of the idea that there would be like this platform I would get from being a big star eventually yeah. or even working with big stars that would allow me to do a lot of shit I want to do in classical and a lot of other media. So most people I think don't approach it that way necessarily because it is like a roundabout way to get to in theory what you're saying that it is you want to do. Ultimately it feels like a weird backtrack to have to learn an entire new industry and style of music and stuff. But I feel like it's already started to pay off in ways that feel kind of like what you're talking about, where it's like the, like the, the synergy or whatever. I like, that's the only word I can think of. Like, it's like so unexpected the amount of people who are just like excited about the thing you're doing on the other side of the, the bridge on both sides. And so, yeah, yeah. Like it pays off very, very well. Once you kind of have a foothold in the suit. What, what was that? Well, that it seems like there was a seed that was planted at some point that yeah. eventually germinated into this realization that you know in classical music there is this bottleneck, um, and then you decided to like maybe not beat your head along with you know thousands of other people against the same wall, and you were like, let me just see if I can walk around the wall. <laughs> like, yeah. how, what was that? It was what was that experience like? Discovering um, I mean, yeah, there was like a few steps. Like, I was. I was always into like classical music needs to be better at finding potential fans of challenging music, I guess, Mm -hmm. which to me is the audience, like people who want a really like transcendent artistic experience for music, of which there are like millions, I think in this country, like 
that should be the audience for classical, I guess. And it's classical. I feel like the audience is primarily just like practitioners of the music or like really conservative, like older kind of people who can fund it and who like that it, you know, they, well, maybe they may like the music, but I think mostly they just like the idea. That a layer of prestige. Yeah. Comes so that's like neither of those things are really like an engaged audience that's like, you know, has an appetite for interesting shit, which is what you really need for something to be like a living, breathing art form, I think, not just a museum. Um, so I had always been on that kind of topic since like high school. And then in college, my, the way I tried to address that was like, I went to Yale and like an undergrad there, there was a lot of like, a lot of like extracurricular kind of just like just madness. Like you could just, I mean, it's just very easy to like, get funding and get a theater and just put up a show. <laughs> like if you just like, this is your week and you can do whatever the fuck you want. And like rehearsal space is free. Like it's just, you know, it's just very generous with that shit. And so the way I did it there was making these like classical chamber shows that were like tons of lighting and sometimes dancers, sometimes projected images, whatever, just like crazy, like sensory experience, like Cirque du Soleil type shit. <laughs> And that did really well. It was like, it was like a perfect fit for that, the campus, you know, type of thing. And they're supporting their friends, but it's also just like, everyone's like, oh, we're going to get high and go to this thing. And like, it's very, <laughs> it just fits with the like, let's go see some crazy shit. You keep the show to like an hour, 10 or 15. But like the music in those shows was just fully unadulterated chamber music from mm-hmm. that I've been writing, mostly mine. And then a couple other people started writing for it too. Um, and that stuff went pretty well. And we did, you know, we, took the group out to like Le Poisson Rouge one time and sold that out, which is fairly <laughs> easy because it's tiny. And then like our biggest one. Well, th- yeah. So then separately from that in grad school, I did like this final big show that was like a culmination of all these ideas. It was like 10 performances. It cost $40,000. It was just like in a building, <laughs> not even on at Yale. It was like an off campus space that we just like turned into a theater. Uh, like, you know, it's like whatever. And I invited some producers to that. Like I invited like Beth Morrison, who does like experimental opera shit in New York. And I invited uh, yeah. someone who was one of the original producers. The Blue Man Group was there. And I remember that person, Word. just just people like whatever, people who yeah. do theater that's like out of the box type of shit was what mm. I was thinking, you know, because that would be the clearest lane for that type of thing. But the Blue Man Group woman said like, you know, this is really cool, but we don't even think like, you know, if we, I don't think we could even do Blue Man Group today if we were trying to build something like that from scratch today in, in a live wow. theater environment today. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, like it was too weird and it required like a long time for it to build word of mouth and stuff, I guess. And like today, things just have to be a hit with the day they open kind of or else they run out of money really fast because rent is expensive mm-hmm. and shit's just different. So, so, and I mean, I don't know, I do Broadway stuff too. I had written like a bunch of musicals in college and I'm still very interested in that and pursuing that. And like, if you watch that world, like a lot of the musicals that are put up are by um, celebrities, like the biggest ones. It's like the Cindy Lauper musical or something like that is going to do much yeah, better. Yeah, all the thus, jukebox least, musicals. This, yeah, well, not, not even that. I mean, she wrote original music for it, but it's still like it's her name sold the tickets and like south park musical book of mormon like you know <laughs> hamilton at least had like obama's endorsement of it like there was always some big celebrity component and, not- and lynn had already won he had already won best best musical for a tony for in the heights before he ever yeah. had hamilton so like yeah and that helps but i mean you know like jason robert brown is like a full-time broadway composer who's been doing that his whole life and never had a hit and like you know it's just like that <laughs> like you know and cindy lobber can just show up and do it 
overnight. You know what I mean? It's like, so I'm just sort <laughs> of thinking just about wants it. to have fun. Exactly. I, I mean, I think that's probably the secret. Uh, so yeah, like, you know, I was just generally thinking like, oh, this is the type of thing that like, you really like, you'd have a much better shot doing the, the, the type of thing I'm trying to do if you were like already famous somehow. So I was kind of thinking about that. And at the same time I had been getting into Kanye's music cause I hadn't really listened to commercial or pop music of any kind my whole life. Really? Yeah. I only listened to classical and like, and like Sondheim and shit and like, yeah some exceptions like Billy Joel or something, but no like contemporary, like mm-hmm. pop music. what year was, what year did you start listening to Kanye? Um, a friend played the like beautiful dark twisted fantasy album um, at a house party. I was at in Boston Whoa. while I was tripping on acid. Uh. <laughs> it's actually in my, if you like That'll read my it. Spotify biography, I think it's like the second sentence of the whole, it's, I mean, it's a good story, but it is true. And like, it wasn't like overnight. I was like, Oh shit. But it definitely was just like, I was like, oh, like, like that was the first time I had ever actually been intrigued by like, and it wasn't just the music, which is insane. I mean, the album's nuts, but it was the fact that there was this room full of just normie like friends from home in Boston who were like stoked on this album that had things like a song that begins with a minute of just whole note, like unison piano notes, like <laughs> Runaway does. And it's like really weird shit that you wouldn't see in a normal like pop song or rap song format so i think that was just like oh somebody's able to do the weird shit that i want to do and really reach all the people it's like so so like i think between all those things and it was like two more years of just listening to just that album and then like gradually getting into whatever kendrick and drake and some other people but like that it all kind of culminated in the moment i finished grad school i was just like all right cool i'm gonna go just try to be a pop star for the next 10 years or so and we'll see how it goes and then eventually i'll come back to this and and i just want to say i hate that i'm hogging him, Trevor, I'm sorry. I just oh, want to say, know. I think you're very, I love what you do with strings, uh, bro. Like it's, it's such, it's so fun playing with you. And I love the energy and the vibe that you music has. It has like this, uh, this new and aged feel at the same time. It's, Thanks. It's hard to describe. I mean, yeah, hopefully, yeah, timeless, I guess. But I mean, there is, there's also like a strain, like I get hired to do strings for a lot of people who really want something that sounds very much like the seventies or eighties or something like that's often the, and, and like that stuff I'm less excited. I mean, I do it and I'm always happy to like do something and, mm-hmm. you know, connect with great artists, but like that mentality is something I relate to less. Like I'm really interested in like right now. And then like, and I'm not really like, I think that people think, Oh, you're like mixing the old with the new. And it's like, well, I, like these instruments are still played. Like I understand mm-hmm. that like obviously a pop culture conception of it, it is like they're old, but it's not, it's not like I'm borrowing like musical techniques from like the Baroque era or some shit. Like I'm pretty much writing exactly <laughs> for strings how I would write, you know, contemporary chamber music. You know what I mean? They just don't know about that. Cause that's not, there's no audience for it right now, but right now. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah, I want to, I want to change that, that, but yeah, like, mm-hmm. yeah. So it is like, I think sometimes people conflate the two. There's just like the string is supposed to be this, like this, like sort of, yeah. Like, what do you call it? Like, uh, yeah, you know, like vibey historic kind of thing that I'm really not mm-hmm. trying to do with them at all.
girlfriends, we soon they got husbands All I got here is nothing, but no one wants to do fun shit I just wanna do young shit, yeah Everybody's grown up now No one wants to dance anymore I guess because that's what how people associate it to you know if you hear yeah if you hear a symbol it's military time like the big crash symbol, it's like hard yeah. to it's hard to remove like the connotations but even yeah, piggybacking because there's there's four million things we can we can talk really about because know. unlike a lot of our guests i've like been aware and have followed you for years before all this starts which is such like a weird thing normally we're talking to friends or we're introducing each other to these other people yeah. in our lives and our guests but i'm just i've been tracking this dude for a long time he's fan and like legit right i, I legitimately listen to the music not to like research <laughs> the pod it's like no 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 i like show people this dude stuff like <laughs> <laughs> I, I, guess, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I guess it depends who yeah. you're talking to, but I got some stuff on the way that I think will be a lot more that I think will be genuinely provocative, even to people in classical, which I think is something I haven't quite done yet. But I'm excited for that. Um, uh, well, my my body's ready for it because you've had <laughs> you've had a lot of music come out recently. I mean, like the end of yeah. it's kind of like you. The two, those two albums were almost back to back. I know it's 2019, 2020. Yeah, I mean, they're, like they yeah, they were like weighed into each other. It's funny because like albums have gotten so short that like my, I called those EPs, but they are like min, minutes, like longer mm-hmm. than most people have called them. But yeah, I called them EPs. Like I think from the standpoint of my like record label and shit, they don't count as albums. Like the album will be, <laughs> I, I finished the album is like basically done, but it probably won't come out till like the winter. Interesting. Okay. Was, so even piggybacking, off of like the career because it's neat seeing how you got there. I think uh, I'm going to paraphrase something you, I think you said years ago and it stuck with me as I kind of transitioned from being in, you know, only classical land going and studying classical music, branching out and towards musicals, film production uh, was, I think, and it kind of seems to track with what you said is that classical music's an old person's game and pop music's a young person's game, so why not get the best of both? Yeah, or like, I think it was probably for me, it was just like, it was it's low risk for me to go into pop music. Like, like John, if John Adams were to, I think he actually did try to write a musical a few years ago or something. Like, it's like, it, it's late for him to try yeah. to do that. And it's, you know, it, it would be impossibly <laughs> late for him to try to get into any kind of contemporary commercial pop music, you know? Uh, like, it would, there's absolutely no way that could work. But... <laughs> yeah so i just think i yeah like for me it was just like a, like i'm just a very like risk averse person Whoa. as much as i'm you good earthquake really Slight y'all good earthquake. y'all good i sit in a very yeah. like soft chair so i feel like it, it it muffles the yeah dude like my my glass <laughs> my glass is shaking yeah whoa anyway, even now it, no, it it stopped, but like my liquid was. Like, Is it possible there was wrong. just like, was like the Jurassic National Park? Guard driving by your house or something? <laughs> look, I don't know what goes on outside of my my house, dude. I don't look. Well, these days the, the National Guard drives by, bro. But anyway, we're, sorry. Uh, I think for me it was just go. like, uh, uh, like I'm a risk averse person. I was just kind of like. And even my parents were also just kind of like, well, you've like, you've sort of got this momentum going sort of that I've, you know, 10 years worth of classical world relationships and investment and shit (laughs) that I'm really just going to like do a clean break from, uh, you know, like, so you really want to be like, does this make sense and shit? But 
yeah, I think that for me, it was just like, yeah, like all the other things I can do later, like Broadway stuff will be fine. You know, classical will be fine. I can, I can come back to it at 35 and like, and come on the scene hot, you know, like hey, that's fine, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, plus emerging, like you emerging do that composer, what's that, like 40? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, there's no, there's no, and honestly, I've been surprised, but I feel like I've honestly like, I mean, I have like intermittently continued writing classical music and like, I feel like my classical music has gotten much better as a result of things I've learned from having to write for an audience more, I guess. And from working with pop music people. And plus like the, just the concepts and production are so different. Like it's a different, it's a different mindset. It's a different world. Like that can't not help to some degree, just like learning any, any other new, new skill. It's gonna, it's gonna open, open the eyes. Cause at least for me, the moment I like, I, I, yeah, not fully like left classical music, but the moment I started trying out other things, yeah. it helped. Just to yeah. Yeah. To yeah. And it makes your life. I mean, people often ask like, how do you, how do you do all these different, like different things? Like how do you have the time? And it's just like, it's really easy for me to not get burnt out if I'm just doing like 8 million different things. Cause I just like, you know, if I don't want to do something, there's at least five other things that need to get done that are like, <laughs> like it's like, you know, and that, that are, they're completely different in every way from the other one thing. And so it's just like, I don't know. You just kind of, it's just like sort of jumping from thing to thing and not feeling like I'm spending a week just stuck in some bullshit. I feel you, like you just described my life, bro. That you are jumping from different kind of... Yeah, man. I mean, just the, the experience of going from learning classical viola to then learning photography and then social media marketing and branding, lifestyle, yeah. videography, editing, and now uh, doing a podcast. It's like, ugh. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, it seems like you're having a good time. It, I mean, I, I would rather be doing all those things than just practicing Shostakovich. <laughs> Look, I fuck with Shostakovich. Maybe some people wouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> Which, uh, what, what comes to mind when you say Shostakovich, what piece of his comes to your mind first? Uh, I mean, I'm like really bad at rep, but I guess the, like, what you'd be playing, like symphony, isn't like the fifth symphony, the one that everyone's always playing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That shit's pretty catchy. Dude, it's, it's, it's. I remember the quartet being minutes, really good, but not enough to t- name numbers. What's that? Oh, it's saying, deep. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, a bop. It's deep, man. It's, it's, uh, this, I think the most famous quartet is number eight. Yeah. I think, I, I think I saw that shit at like Ozawa Hall. I went to like Tanglewood, like the little kid Tanglewood for three years. <laughs> I'm, I was like, oh. I was like, like I, I couldn't, they couldn't get me to leave. Kind of, it's just constantly, mm. it's constantly there. <laughs> well, you had a, you had a full, you had a full uh, five o'clock shadow, and you're still trying to show up. Be like, hey, can I? I was very by, by the third year. I was just like, did you guys ever do that shit? Booty? Did you do it? No, man. no, oh, no. Okay. I didn't do booty. All right. Well, there's this whatever. It's in this town, Lennox. That's actually why I picked Johan Lennox as the stage name. Uh, the Lennox is for Lennox Mass, and it's spelled the same way. The one in. Um, and there was like, there's this bridge that kind of like cuts through this like wooded area from the, like the booty campus to like the town of Lennox, which is like three blocks worth of stores and stuff. Um, and by, yeah, by the 30, I was just like smoking hella weed with like the horn players down by the, <laughs> by the Always the horn players. Dude, they have great breath control. No wonder. Yo, no, that literally was like, a, that was disgust. It was definitely disgust. Like, like they can just take these like huge rips because they're just like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you ever meet 
Dave Rochella. Uh, he went to Juilliard. He's a horn player. No, I knew Alex Seaver pretty well, who was Alex also a Seaver. horn player. Yes, but he might be. I might just know a slightly older group of kids than possible. I don't know how old. I'm a baby, dude. I'm younger than both of you. No, I feel like I'm a fucking grandpa. Like I, everybody I work with in music is like 19 and shit, and I'm 31. Like everyone, I mean, I look like I'm 25, and everyone kind of assumes that I'm 25, and I kind of rock with that. Yeah, I but thought you were my, I thought you were younger than me, bro. No, it's good. That's what that's what yeah, I want. Man. But yeah, it's hey, like good branding. How is it received? Not just being older, but then you know you're coming in with degrees when that is like a very rare thing. Yeah, in music. I mean, I think early on. The, the people who like worked with me on the business side definitely used that as like the reason to get people to work with me. Like he went to Yale. He's like a mm-hmm. Yale composer. Like this, you know, like this kid's <laughs> legit. And then I would show up and like actually not be good at any of the relevant things that I would need to try <laughs> produce or write for these sessions. Like, you know, I was like trying my best, but I just like, I just like, yeah. like, you know, I sounded really cool and artistic and was actually just completely lost in trying to like figure out what was going to like sell and get people to fuck with me, which like, you know, like trying to fit into these like very boring commercial kind of mainstream boxes sometimes. And, uh, uh-huh. But now, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like once it kind of all clicked, I can kind of walk through how it, when things started to kind of work. But like now, now, I mean, well, I mean, whatever. Like as like a white dude, I mean, you're like you're always gonna be fine. Like every you know, Peter's sitting while you're talking. I'm like tall and shit. Like it's, it's, you know, and that's obviously like part of why everything is completely fuck right now. But um you know, so like it's, 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 I was always given the benefit of the doubt to some degree, but it's like, you still have to fucking deliver, you know? And, and now I've kind of locked into a lane that it works for me, which is sort of like a lot of people kind of assume I'm basically just James Blake. Um, because <laughs> it's like, that's the other white dude that everybody in hip hop kind of fucks with. And like, you know, Ludwig is another uh-huh. person people occasionally are like, Oh, you're kind of like that yeah, Ludwig yeah, guy. Yeah, but sure. then they hear me sing. They're like, Oh, you're kind of like James Blake. I'm just like, if you listen to my music, it really is not in any way like anything either of those guys have ever done. It's way more. You're, you're their you're their white friend. That's the, the yeah. I mean, kind of, and like I've I mean, a like white every big hip hop session, there, there's always like you know, it's like usually largely a black you know work environment, and then there's usually like one white dude who's just like really scrawny or sometimes like morbidly obese, just like making beats in one corner and like they're always like, no, that's just like, sitting in the back with the, the headphones right and the MacBook. That's Ludwig, you know, like no, and we're just like that dude. But I feel like people are kind of used to like the white dude always just looking like shit. Actually, it's like kind of part of the thing. There's just, you know, it's like, it's like the less cool, the better, you know, it's like really just, you know, then it's like, you don't want some white dude that's, that's, that's like dressed like in all this like hip hop, you know, kind of inspired clothes. You want some kid that's just like, Oh no, he's fully a nerd. And that's why he's so good. So I feel like I kind of figured that out. He knows EQing. (laughs) I was like, maybe that should be my thing. I just like wear a tux and just like inappropriate places. Well, there's this dude, Mr. Hudson, who's like famously, uh, he's this British dude. He's, he's a white guy and he, he's like famously featured on a bunch of big Kanye records. And he, that was in the era when Kanye was making everybody in the studio wear suits. But I imagine Mr. Hudson, like having his like sort of, I think he went to like Oxford or some shit or Cambridge, one of those. And he, and he has the British accent and he's like this tall guy with the, the blonde hair. And he's kind of like, you know, and he just sings like fucking, you know, like out of the choir, you know, like it just, it's like exotic for hip hop, you know, it's like, that's, it's kind of understanding that, you know, what's, what can you bring that's unique and different, I guess, in that setting. Mm. So speaking of what you bring in unique and that's different. So at least uh, as far as I can tell as an outsider, it seemed like you made a really 
wise move as far as like getting into the industry and like pretty early on getting to work with like bigger names and just be in the room and be a presence because you you jumped in and like worked with others and had that streaming experience that arranging experience that seemed to be a good gateway in yeah i mean there was like three years where that didn't happen and i would like couldn't figure out like what to do really like it was very kind of desperate times um when i was out here in la first i was in new york for a year then i was out here for like maybe two and a half or three and hadn't really actually worked with anybody of note really um and couldn't really figure out and i released music and none of it was working and then the i mean yeah the catalyst was really like my friend yuga kohler who is like a classical orchestra conductor who i had known from boston music stuff and he's one of the first Juilliard people i met i i love yuga he came to my one of my group muses like one of my last group muses before the whole pandemic yeah i think he initially mentioned mentioned you to me and and he he was now the conductor of this shit called the young musicians foundation which is like a Whatever, they do a bunch of shit, but mainly there's it's just this orchestra in LA that's like recent college grads. It's like your first orchestra job. It doesn't pay. I don't think it's non-union, but it's like okay. And like, you know, like it's good music. So he was the conductor of that for three years. I think Michael Tilson Thomas was maybe the first conductor of it ever when he was like a kid or something. Whoa. Yes. Yeah. Whoa. I, think that, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think it's just always been like young hotshot conductor. Sort of. So you got that job and he did the shit for three years. And every, I think they have maybe a thing where the last concert every year, they like do just some, the conductor can just kind of do whatever they want a little bit and don't have to, mm-hmm. there's encouraged to pitch some crazy concept. So Yugo wanted to do something around Kanye music. That's all he really knew. And then I think he actually had the title Yeethoven. Mm-hmm. And he uh, reached out to me and like, we hadn't really talked in a serious way in like years probably. And it was just like, yo, like you seem like you're kind of, you know, a composer who's into both and like might help do this. And then the two of us kind of figured out a concert that was just kind of like trying to explain and like almost like a Ted talk. Cause we talked between each piece, like, like sort of like a pops concert or a young people's concert. just like a sentence or two explaining what's about to happen on each one and just tried to make the case for why Kanye music, especially off Yeezus, which was the focus of our concert was like compositionally interesting to us as classical musicians and, I had just come off the Bang on a Can festival a couple of years before that. And everyone, that was when Yeezus <laughs> was out. Everyone at that festival was fucking ripping Yeezus every night, like full volume and shit. Like that, <laughs> which I just wouldn't have maybe expected a few years before. But like I got into Kanye right around the time that it seemed like I just found this crowd of people that was more excited about just being like, oh, this is really weird music. Like, it does, you know, it's really adventurous in the same way that you want some David Lang piece to be or something, I think. So, yeah, so we did that concert. And then after that concert was when then, then I had like this calling card and through and I had met enough people that some of the people who came to the concert were able to introduce me to people. And the, and the first really real thing that came out of that was uh, Vic Mensa, the Chicago rapper. And I did strings on his first album. Damn. But that even that was like nine months later because he his manager one of his managers worked for like Scooter Braun. Like he was sort of managed by Scooter Braun for a while. And one mm-hmm. of the guys under Scooter wow. was this guy named Dave. And Dave had been at, Dave's friend had been at the show. So, and I actually met Dave and was going to do something for, what the fuck is that chick's name? 
I can't even fucking remember. It's some like American Idol chick that they manage, something like that. And, and she was doing a concert with like Andre Bocelli or something, and I was going to direct her oh, for yeah. that. And that fell through, and then I didn't hear shit. And then seven months later, Dave just texted me again, like, "Yo, what? You, like, I got a project for you." And I was just like, "Oh, okay." And I just okay. You know, month, yeah, and so and you know, it's props to him for Dave Appleton. Props to him for, and I guess Vic for just kind of like being down because i hadn't really done that before but they were like but he's done this yeah thing look isn't this crazy he mashed kanye and beethoven it's like very easy just like whoa that sounds crazy and then i so that was the first time of me actually doing it and i learned a lot from that but also got to know Vic really well and then that's a really cool i love how you explain that story because it it tells it it packs a lot it's like you discovered this love of something that was kind of at first alien to what you've known yeah. you've never listened to Kanye then you started to accept this new music and then through your <clears throat> exploration in your classical realm you also got connected to people who also liked Kanye's music and then that led you to other people that liked classical liked Kanye literally put a concert together and that you just following your passion led you to working with Vic Mensa which I'm sure that must have opened yeah, doors for you. That's kind of how it happens. You meet one yeah. person. It's like, yeah, there was yeah. basically two. Yeah. There was basically two things that came out of the Beethoven thing. One was Vic, which happened about nine months later. And then even that relationship was like very tentative for like a year. Like I just sort of done the strings and we were kind of vaguely in touch. And then I, I played piano on one song of the album. So then I started playing piano with him when he did it on Colbert, like I, we talked about. And like, mm-hmm. and then when he went on tour, he, he opened for Jay-Z's like 444 tour and they played it the, when the big arena in Boston is called the TD garden. Well, I think they changed mm-hmm. the name again, but at the time it was the TD bank North or something like that. <laughs> uh, I can't, just, when I was, a, when I was a kid, it was the fleet center. And before that, I think it was just called the Boston garden. But uh, yeah. So, so I played piano with him at that. It was fun crazy yes but yeah and then it wasn't really until a while after that that i really started working with him like every day and shit but during that time through him i met no id who's sort of the producer who like discovered kanye and through no id i met like a fucking ton of people but like big sean is a big one that i've worked with a ton i met through no id like a couple years later and then the other big thing that came out of yetoven was this dude mike dean followed me on twitter and mike dean's like kanye's long time sort of like (laughs) synth yeah like he basically does what i do he is the, the weird white guy in the room and a lot of these people. <laughs> and so he brought me in when kanye was doing the five albums in five weeks oh. um in 2018 i guess and so he brought me in to kind of help with that shit and so then that's when i finally like met kanye and like worked with kanye very briefly and uh yeah i wanted to to ask about that because again like following your story as an outside observer from you know, leaving the Yale School of Music, classical music uh, haven to then going on liking Kanye a couple years later, getting to meet Kanye. And then just wasn't a, wasn't it just a few days after that when Kanye MAGA hat happened? Kanye gate or whatever? I think he was already doing the, the Trump thing before that. I mean, I didn't like really have like long discussions with him. It was sort of like these relatively short to the point, like, what do you need on this song? Like, is this good? Uh-huh. Is that good type of things. But um, yeah, no, yeah, I think he was well into that. I mean, that never really struck me as that surprising. Like, 
I think a lot of people are like, what happened to oh, the, no, not at what all. happened to the, like George Bush doesn't care about black people, Kanye. But it's like, I think from his perspective, <laughs> these were always just like, like he didn't go from some like radical leftist to being like, you know, a, a Nazi. Like he's just always Maga, been Maga, completely Maga. apolitical and he just likes saying shit that pisses people off. And he likes, and I think he <laughs> likes Trump a lot just because Trump was told he couldn't do like he, like he couldn't be president because he's like, you know, does not classy enough or whatever and wasn't part of the machine enough. And like, he's an outsider, but he was so famous from reality TV that he just ended up being president anyway. <laughs> and I think that's like kind of his entire <laughs> philosophy about how, like, you know, when he tried to do fashion, oh, yeah. it's like the fashion people, I mean, whatever the fashion people are also fucking like snobs and, 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 yeah. and they're kind of, they're kind of racist and they, you know, it's mostly like European and they just like, they're not going to respect a black, you know, rapper who wants to design clothes at all. And so, so then when he's like, fuck you, I'm so famous that I will force myself into this shit and then it works, <laughs> you know, like he, I think that is kind of what he connects to about Trump. I, I literally don't think he has a single idea about what any of Trump's policy or any of that shit is. Oh no. That's and I've seen, astute. I just remember it was, it was yeah. It was less about the like the, the any political questions. I was just thinking if for from your end, it's, like I just remember it was like around the same time. It's like you finally get to meet your hero, and then like that's the one time. Yeah, he's I, getting like. Well, right I definitely got. I definitely met him. Like yeah, like three years before would have been the ideal time to ah. be in. Like like yeah, or actually five or six. Yeah, like like Dark Twisted Fantasy, Watch the Throne, and and Jesus is like the golden era for me, but. You know, it's cool. I don't begrudge him. I mean, the thing is, like, people are always like, whatever happened to, like, Katy Perry? What happened to Kanye? Like, I haven't heard a song from Kanye. He's like, what happened to, what happened to, like, Lil Wayne? Why is he not on the radio anymore? It's just like, like, somehow, like, they don't, like, notice the pattern, which is just that, like, nobody in pop music ever lasts more than about 10 or 12 years. Usually it's less. And it takes, it takes three years. Well, Drake's at about, I think he's coming up on, Maybe and he hasn't really been around for that long. Has he like ten years or so? He's in that ballpark. But. Drake's Drake's been around for twelve, I think. Yeah. Okay. He's so he's he, you know he's he's probably got a few years. And he's he's like once in a lifetime. I mean you know Snoop has had yeah. like twenty five years. Like Jay Z definitely had a really long run. But like most <laughs> artists, oh, certainly yeah. in pop, they don't. And like I guess Madonna had a pretty good long run. But yeah, most people get Beyonce has been like relevant for a long time, but she hasn't been on the radio for quite a few years even now. And. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like, ch- fine. Yeah, that's just, changing. that's just the life cycle, you know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. as it should, because well, plus we it need seems, people yeah. like you to be able to have a platform and, sure. and to grow. And but flourish. I, I mean, I feel fortunate that I like have had the plan for what I'm going to do after this shit in like, that's been in place the whole time. Cause you do watch people who like, mm-hmm. you know, at 17 decided to be a pop star and like figured it out by 23, they were famous. And then by 30, they were like, losing steam and then they're like what the fuck do i do for the next 50 years of my life like that i mean even like i hope i get to like post malone weekend level you know in a few years (sighs) like that's definitely the plan but even if i don't like it's only up from there like it's like i've got so many bigger things i can do with even even like a like a francis and the lights level platform or something would be enough for me to get to the next (laughs) you know what i mean which that seems terrible to me you you met you've mentioned a couple of things about like institutional racism, bro. It sounds like you're an ally. Yeah, I mean, like I, sure. you've been out here well, in these streets, man. Yeah, I went to the protest yesterday, but I mean, I wouldn't say. I mean, I, w- I like I don't take any credit for like anything. I mean, it's like, the bare minimum. It's like being an ally, I guess. <laughs> but 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, you can't like work with black artists every day and not be like aware of what the fuck happens in this country. And I try to be, mm-hmm. you know, women. I mean, I've definitely like, I think I was kind of being glib about it earlier with the Bowdoin thing, but I think my point was that like, I think I probably wasn't as woke then as I maybe am now, or like at least not as aware. Uh, yeah, man. To the point where it would have been easier for me to like, I just didn't have like black friends in college that much. And like Yale was very segregated and actually like it's, you know, like I, really? yeah, there was like there was a one black dude in my acapella group who's a fucking great guy, but even he, like, I, he he was actually like he had sort of assimilated really hard in like the white part of Yale almost, and like yeah, it wasn't. Wait, was this is this a certain cellist? Oh no, well, I mean I was I was friendly with Kevin, but I'm I, there was, I'm talking to like people like in my close circle, but no, I like there's a uh, guy named Kevin. Kevin, oh, I knew well. K- you knew Ko? Yeah, you yeah. We, he was in my first ever like immersive theater classical music show. Eddie Allen, he's awesome. I love him, but we I, he wasn't someone I was just like hanging out with every week or whatever but but he's a great dude and mm-hmm. uh, i wanted to meet him he's super positive yeah. and yeah he's great I actually like in like i mean I'm, they probably would have happened anyway but i like technically was the one who introduced him to the people casting the his the acapella Whoa. group for sing off and pentatonic so <laughs> yeah so he owes me his hey life. little piece of history no, for it's you. just reparations yeah <laughs> 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 no, i'm just kidding uh i'm yeah I'm, I'm being like way too glue about this shit but i haven't left the house i'm just out of my fucking mind right but no, I mean, I take all what this stuff very like? seriously. Like, I've been trying to give money to, you know, just, I'm, I'm definitely, like, feeling mm-hmm. very strongly about, like, the police brutality shit, which is just, like, completely fucking insane. Just, there's no reason for, like, mm-hmm. police departments to be this heavily Any armed. And, you know, and this racist. Ideally, neither. <laughs> you know? uh, so... And then, I mean, they pick one, you know, pick one. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> the music industry is also, like, incredibly sexist. I mean, I think that at least within music, that might even be a bigger issue. Like, you know, I've worked in a lot of different sessions with a lot of different, you know, racial backgrounds and it's still always dudes. Like it's, there's, there's like one girl in the room and she's her, you know, her opinion isn't taken seriously or whatever by people unless she fights for it. And then sometimes like there's sessions where there's like a bunch of girls at the session, but they're there clearly just because they're like Instagram thoughts that someone invited just to have like eye candy in the session. And like, it's like, okay, so those, th- and then like maybe there's a female songwriter there, but like people just confuse her with the rest. Like, it's just the dynamic is really fucked up. And, uh, yeah, it's a disaster. I mean, it's, it's, that's just how like it's been set up. Like, that's, that's like one of the bump. It's just like structurally, like the session, you're chilling with the guys. Yeah, it's like the bros. And I mean, there, there's, re- I mean, there's, you know, like the producers and, and engineers, especially, are, tend to be male. And that, you know, that could be a bigger issue too, of just like, you know, it's assumed that anything that involves like geeking around on gadgets and moving numbers around on a screen is like more like dude type shit. And like the women are more like, you know, I find more women are in the pop sessions, which are seen as like more like, oh, like your verbal skills and your and your ability to sing like an angel are going to be valued here more, you know, and like that's stereotypical too, you know. And like, I think I, in the entire time I've been in LA, I think I've worked with one female producer ever. Uh, Did you ever work with Bat Snacks? Wow. No. Bats, I gotta connect you. Bad snacks. There's motion. There's evergreen. Yeah, she's oh, so you're more on Everdeen or Evergreen, bro. I I've been very fortunate through Bad Snacks to meet so many incredible female producers because she's like, she's really leading a charge of like really. That's good. I mean, it's really not even on them to like like the, it's it's like really on everybody else to just take people more seriously. And I mean, you know, like the guy, the president mm-hmm. of the Grammys a couple mm-hmm. years ago made some comment about how like about when no women won producer or it was some like maybe in any of the major four categories, women didn't win anything or some really like crazy glaring omission. And his comment was just like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, well, we got to do better. Women just got to step up and hopefully we'll, uh, 
<laughs> like, I don't, I don't know if that's the issue oh, exactly, God. but and yeah, it's yeah. like, hmm, and then I mean, you yeah. know, like racially, whatever. Like the the major labels are pretty much just like slave owners at this point. Like they sign all these like young internet rappers into these fucking horrible deals based on their like lack of good legal advice. You know, if they're just coming out of you know Atlanta or something, and they have you know they're a kid basically, and they're just trapped in this yeah. deal where like basically all of their work is just owned by some stupid ass company that's owned by like a conglomerate from Belgium. It's like nothing changes. <laughs> so I think that a lot of the protests, at least in music that I've seen on this issue have been like, great, like good job. All the labels for like posting a black rectangle. Now could uh, you potentially like donate a hundred million done. dollars to whatever. I think, I think Warner said they're going to do a hundred million, but honestly they could do a million. Like it's, you know, because, yeah. I've s- I've seen someone, uh, a couple people, uh, like yeah, they've like been sharing a document. It's just it's just a photo of a Google spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah I sure keeping that. track of like has have have yeah have they made a statement and have they committed to donating and have they done it and like it's like statement 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 and then no formal donations, no nothing. Yeah, I think I mean hopefully yeah we just got to keep the pressure up and I do think that you know the bigger voices in the industry are. I mean the weekend posted something like that I think today, uh, which is good and. Mm-hmm. This dude Kenny Beats, who's a white dude who produces a lot of hip hop stuff, has been pushing really, really hard on this stuff, and his voice is really taken seriously. So, oh boy, Coda the friend. Uh, I have a song with. So I didn't tell you this. I have a song with Coda coming out. I don't even know you fucked no. with him. Yeah. What? Yeah, I haven't even met him. It was like purely just like some folks were just like like what the <laughs> PR guy I think at the label called like yeah. maybe manages him or something. Wow. And they were just like, oh, we should get Coda on this. I'm like. Okay. Coda is, is like I'm, yeah. He's I stand been Coda. Yeah, no, he's been he's been very vocal as well. And mm-hmm. again, it's not really on black artists. I mean, they've they've been vocal. You know, it's mm-hmm. on white like execs. But yeah. Well, that's why I appreciate you spreading that message because that is literally what one of the things Coda said is like: do not be mistaken. The modern music industry is a proxy for slave ownership. Yeah because these people don't have rights to their to their intellectual property and they're kind of held hostage due to cash advances that they have to recoup before yep. they even mm-hmm. it's just yeah and like i mean i'm fortunate enough to have you know a great manager and a great lawyer and like even some of that stuff you can probably chalk up to like the opportunities i've been able to have and like even you know like when i first came out here we were talking about like coming out of yale it's like when I didn't have anything else, at least I had that. And it just meant a certain level of quality in terms of the people who would work with me and shit, which is just like, it's totally different if you're just poor and, and growing up in a suburb and making a beat on SoundCloud and then a label suddenly is like, oh, we want to sign you. And like, you're just like, oh, what the fuck do I do now? And you get your like dad's brother who's a lawyer or something to look it over. It's <laughs> yeah. kind of like, all right. I'm, but but actually though, yeah. So what's it? Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell because my videos, I can't tell my video, the zoom's lagging no, or whatever, but great. at least the audio looks good. So <laughs> so one specific, um, like even thinking of like Vic being outspoken, like uh, I remember like Camp America, oh, yeah, yeah. which is like a great track and a great video, but where does, uh, where in your mind is like, should like protest music exist in this form? In subtlety, is that something that's on the it's on the radar? Because I like I deal with a lot of music that's in some form, you know, dealing with sensitive subjects, mm. uh, and it is it's it's such a balancing act. But in the pop world, it's even more so because people actually listen to it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, where is that? Is is that on your radar? Is it something that's you know coming up? Or is is it something to avoid because 
it's it's tricky. Just like what are you, what are your thoughts about embedding that? Oh, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, the Vic album was about as like yeah, as this project we did called Ninety Three Punks. I'm surprised you've been tracking this stuff so closely, but you know, thanks. He's a fan, bro. Dude, I'm a fan. How do you? How do you is this just based off of what I'm posting on Instagram, or how are you even finding out about this shit? Or Facebook? I mean, a lot of Insta, but prior to that, it's Facebook. I just, oh. I'm a, I'm a consumer, and and for <laughs> anyone doing something that's not classical music is of high interest to me. Oh, yeah. So that's what me we do. I mean, I track really closely. Like whenever I hear about anything that's like a classical like like i think san francisco symphony was doing these like basement like like cocktail hour type concerts (laughs) that like didn't look that cool but i'm like i'm still interested in like there's this other guy named steve hackman who does stuff that's kind of similar to what we do with Mm -hmm. the adoven that like yeah again isn't really my favorite and i just recorded with them i think yeah Yeah, nothing against him at all yeah no he's he's a good guy and he's he's been cool to us but uh, yeah it's like it, it doesn't feel like the solution to me but you know, I'm, I track all of this stuff. I'm very interested. Anybody who's trying anything, I'm like very interested to see like what, you know, what's possible. Yeah. But, um, oh, sorry to your point. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't personally, well, actually like, I mean, I guess lately I've been putting like little tidbits of just like lines in my songs that are just kind of like stuff about how like the planet's going to explode and like uh. things about how like, 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 <laughs> I, like I have a couple songs on my album that are like specifically focused on how like no one's ever going to like, you know, the whole thing about how, like, we're the first generation to make less money than our parents or something. And, like, how, like, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. like, no one wants to have kids anymore because they're afraid of, like, the world being fucked. Or, like, you know, everyone our age apparently just has, like, house plants because they, like, can't even take care of pets because everyone's working too many jobs and too unusual <laughs> so hours true. and shit. Yeah, like, just, I, I try to put a lot of that stuff in my music because I'm just trying to, like, reflect what's happening in the world. And I feel like there aren't other artists who are doing that. But I don't, I, I don't find, at least for my taste, that, like, a super direct plea a la where is the love by the black eyed peas is the best way to do it but i I love that song but i just feel like that you know like what's the verse like people killing people dying killing people dying is that is that it children and you hear them crying like is that really the you know is that real but you know for a lot of people that that is it and you know i think there's places for songs like that um there's a really good song that I'm honestly one of the proudest things I've worked on with Vic is on the previous project called Hooligans. And the last song is, I think it's called Deserve It or something. Deserve It. I don't think I've and it's, it, I'm Yeah, it's, I mean, like no one gave a shit about it because this project was just sort of like dropped very just overnight, like one night in the, in the, yeah, and my friend Mr. Hudson's on it. But yeah, this is a great song. And this one's much more like, I don't know, it's just very like self-love, self-care, but it's just like the it's done in a very minimal kind of way that I think is really good. Um, I like that. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm proud of everything we've done Nine Three Punks. Like, I definitely wasn't, like, the lyrical force behind that album. Um, although I did, mm-hmm. I think, write the line on that song that's it's a ignorant, arrogant, terrorist heritage you can finally be an American. I think I, like, wrote most of that line. But, like, <laughs> but like literally, that's, like, one of, like, that's maybe great. two lines on the entire album where I, like, really played a big role. And, like, mostly I did, like, all the vocal melodies and I did, um, not all, but, I mean, like, mostly what I was doing was helping write vocal melodies with Vic and then, but... And then, and then, like anything that's like synths or just musical structure, like that's kind of what I feel like I'm the most useful at in those types of sessions. Is like just, just broad. I mean, that's kind of what you learn as a composer, right? It's just structuring big blocks of music so it flows naturally, like on a yeah. course of a song or the course of an album. Fixing the chord progression to make the thing hit harder, like writing a melody that contrasts the other melody better, like that type of shit. So that's what I usually do. Myself. 
Can I just say, first of all, Johan, I add, I added that to my uh, playlist, the song you talked oh, about. Oh, cool. Let me know what um, you think. Yeah, I'm going to bump it. Um, I have a, if you didn't know, uh, Faking Fam, I have a Spotify playlist, self, selfish plug. <laughs> it's called Quarantine Vibes. Oh, nice. uh, it's, it's kind of like, it's a collection of 29 songs that I've been listening to during the quarantine. I think it's uplifting. Definitely check it out. Anyway, you'll hear uh, this song on that playlist. Nice. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, what were you saying, I'm Trevor? I'm it. sorry. I'm I just find it right now. Oh, no, no, no worries. I think I think one of the neat things too is just like you're coming in with like strings and structure is uh for me, what I thought was fascinating was coming out and I'm like, I don't want to just do classical. I gotta do something else. I don't know if it's like an ADD brain or just like I just get bored. And plus, like you said, there's like a lot of problems in the career. Yeah. Uh, for being a classical musician, and you know, if you actually want you want to hear what you do, but I remember my first dipping my toes outside was in like the musical world, and then finding out also how much I didn't know about music actually. But then two, some of the values of the things we learn, and like things like structure, melody, because of counterpoint, like we there are a lot of advantages, um, which was nice. It kind of helped compensate for just like the sheer lack of actual honest music musical knowledge but coming in with yeah structure counterpoint all these things it's like okay like here's a place where you can come in and help you know you you listen to someone's song and it's just kind of boring it's like well you, you sang the same pattern four times yeah, in a row, yeah, yeah. You know, very like these little things <laughs> yeah and that's the seg for me it was the segue into like okay i can at least be in the room and contribute in some what, what setting are you doing that in oh uh, so that was even just like in like the songwriting room and so, like, the first thing in, I came and I was going to do, like, orchestrating for this, you know, just, like, a younger person who was at NYU. And then we did this, like, off-Broadway musical. Cool. And, like, I've worked with, like, Mark. I just Sonnenblick. did his parts. Mark Sonnenblick. Oh, cool. Yeah, I just was on the phone. Yeah, the so I just, I just did parks. It's, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a small world. But anyway, like, going in and, like, testing all these other things, I'm like, what was kind of nice was some of the things we learned had value. Yeah. But where they had value <laughs> was outside of classical music. Yeah, I mean, I actually like some of this was valuable. I mean, I have a bunch of projects, but like after I put out my like album album, I'm probably going to come with like a fully classical album right after that. And a big thing that I want to explore is just like how far you can go in terms of like producing a classical album and just be really Mm -hmm. just kind of approach it exactly how I would a pop album in terms of just like the amount of manipulation I'm willing to do to stuff and like delay sends and sub bass and shit, you know, like, but not like it's not like pieces for strings and electronics though it's like it's supposed to just be like this is just producing the strings. that's what it would sound like if you produced it you know and like using panning effects mm-hmm. and using distortion and using all these types of pitching stuff down and up you know just making something that's like a recorded format specifically as an album um and i've been listening through that the last couple of days and it's been interesting because i like i feel like i pride myself lately in the last couple of years in the in the commercial pop music whatever like world at being the guy who can listen through an album and identify like what's wrong with the pacing of it and stuff like that is something that I really enjoy doing and take a, but, but it was interesting coming back to like a fully classical album where the structures are, have nothing to do with song structure. <laughs> it's just like, it's what I wrote is it, it's mostly music I wrote a few years ago, but like, and like, it's way more challenging to like identify what the, you know, what the issues are and decide what to do with them, you know, in terms of how the flow goes. And it's just, you know, like you can't just box everything into like, well, that's a slow song, and that's you know, I'm like this is that just needs an outro now. Yeah, like got to oh, hitting the chorus. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's yeah. So I mean, I think 
doing pop music has helped me with that stuff just because I do it so much. Like the volume of shit that I do is so much. And like, and certainly like I've worked on how many songs since I've gotten here, like, you know, like probably like a couple thousand, uh, you know, and just so like, I've seen like every combination of things that can kind of happen in a song setting for the most part. And like what would make, you know, what, how, how far you can push them and that type of stuff. But now coming back to classical, it's still like, it's like still a challenge. It's exciting. There's other things I think I'm way clearer on than, than I used to be with classical. Like I think pacing stuff, I think I'm much better at than I was even before. So Mm -hmm. it's not like I got dumber, you know, it's just, I think I I know, maybe I appreciate how hard it is. (laughs) Well, that'd be the worry is that you kind of like, you know, you know, you know, you don't speak French for 10 years then. Yeah. The bicycle. Yeah. Yeah. I have uh, a question and and it's more of like we have a lot of like people in the faking fam who are a lot of there's a wide range of ages right but there's a demographic that is in college right now and they're trying to figure out what sort of like if you could go back to Stephen who was just finishing Yale what sort of advice would you give him right when he finished college that you know now, like that yeah, has yeah. made your career good? Like what's something you would say? Um, I think I like, I don't, I don't I think I'm kind of unusual in this way, but I, I think I undervalue like skills and like mm. work and practice. And like, like I kind of came out being like, like how hard can writing pop music be? the hard part is going to be like networking (laughs) your way into this fucking like really exclusive scene. Right. And that, that, that part was true. And, you know, and I think it, it it definitely helped me that I hustled really hard early on just on the network side. So I was like, at least in the machine enough to feel like there were people around me who were succeeding. And like that gave me, you know, but like I could have humbled myself a lot more. I could have gotten way better at just training my ears and, for on a producing side, like I mean, my ear training, like on whatever music, music has always been great, but like in terms of just like, Oh, like these drum sounds actually don't sound that good. And even now I could probably honestly be better at that stuff. Although now I've sort of locked in enough. I'm doing enough different things. Well, you're great. I think it's okay. You're but, great at it, bro. Uh, I, I wanted to shout you out. Cause you, uh, you helped mix my and master my, uh, yeah. figure eights of heartbreak single that came out nice. like last year, man. So well, like, that's just, thank you. You did great. You did a great I'd probably, job. I'd probably do that better now, even if I did it now, but, and I'm not even the expert of that, but, but like, I'm just saying like for the first few years, I think I just like, I was punching above my weight in terms of like network, you know, like I was like, I was like sending people stuff who were high enough <laughs> up that like. That, that, that I should have been, I could have been sending them better shit, you know? Ah. And like, and I think it just took me a while. And like, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I wish I could have done accelerated the process of just, you know, knowing what, I don't know. I think you hit it, bro. I think yeah. it's more of like you, you, you weren't afraid of the leap. No, no, no. I think that was the absolutely critical. I'm just saying like, after I made that leap, I think there was a period where I kind of like hadn't done the hard work of, I mean, it was hard work anyway. Like I worked really hard and it was just like stressful Mm -hmm. just not having any idea what's going on. But like, (laughs) but in terms of just like the the grunt work maybe of just studying and practicing. And I think another thing maybe that a lot of people do that I like also never done is like just get a mentor on a creative side. Like, 
like a lot of people I knew, whatever, like my friend Ellis from Yale went out and like became like Nico Mealy's, uh, you know, protege or whatever. My, um, my friend Ben Wexler is a product composer went out and became Janine Tesori's protege and like these things. I wouldn't say that they're like ahead of me necessarily, but it maybe gave them, and I, I guess I'm not even saying I regret not doing it, but I'm just, I'm just saying like that at least you're, you know, like, like I think also a bigger point maybe that that kind of ties into is just like what I always advise to people who are coming to me, like with music, although there's kind of two types of people that hit me up with music that are like, yo, what, okay. what, what should I do? Right. There's one type is this is more recent that are like hip hop fans who like have a very clear sense of like where the shit lives and just need to know how to like market it better. And actually I'm, I think I'm pretty helpful with that stuff or just need mm-hmm. to know how to get connected to the shit, shit or like literally I can just put them on an email with somebody and hopefully like make a, a huge difference with, you know, without even having to put that much effort in for me, if it's just something I've never even met. That stuff's easy. What's much harder is where is the people who are more like where I was coming from, which is people like who came from Yale or something who are really good at playing like Elton John songs on the piano, or they're really good at singing like Mariah Carey, or like they have some idea of what pop music is, but it's this like very nebulous thing based on stuff that's like 15 years out of style now, or is like a hodgepodge of different styles. And, like, <laughs> they're not, they're not, and this is how I was too. Like, you know, they're not coming at it as a fan of currently upcoming pop music. They're coming at it as someone who wants to break into pop music because they enjoy making it, which is great. But like, but like they, therefore they have no idea what their lane is and they like, it's sonically confused, you know, and they don't understand where their audience is, which like ideally aren't things you have to think too much about because like most people, most people don't have to think about them because they just know, like, like they just, all they listen to is Atlanta trap music. So mm-hmm. they make Atlanta trap music and they do some spin on it. And then it's like, there's never any question about where that's going to live, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like, if you're making something that, I don't know. So it's like, I have this friend who was playing me her like Mariah Carey type demos and shit. I'm just like, look, I don't like really know. Like, I mean, it's like good. <laughs> like it is actually pretty good for what it is, but like, who's going to buy this? Like, you know? And yep. so then I was like, look, here's what I recommend. Like, you should make a playlist on Spotify and limit it to music that's come out in the last 18 months and try to find stuff that feels like the music you want to make. And it feels really good. Just, just work really on that really playlist. Nice. And Spotify is actually really good for that. Cause they have the algorithm at the bottom, which will then recommend more shit based on what you, so you'll really like, even if you don't like a lot of it, you'll start to at least understand what the landscape is. And then you're like, okay, there's, and they, you know, they'll like, they'll be like fans of this artist. Also like this artist, I'm obsessed with that feature which is like sometimes to my own detriment, but like, but Mm -hmm. it can be really, you start to get like, Oh, of course, all of the like South Florida rap fans, like, like all of the South Florida rappers. Right. And all the sort of like, um, you know, like bedroomy indie rock inspired kind of like 17 year old kids who are on like the Lorem playlist on Spotify, which is huge right now. Like those kids are all (laughs) related on here, you know? And then there's a little bit overlap between them and like Brockhampton, but the Brockhampton is a little bit more like, R&B, but it's an indie type of R&B, you know, and that has a whole world. This is another dude named Choker, another guy named Dijon. It's all on that shit. And you can start to see where these communities overlap. And it makes sense because then you can be like, oh, well, here's who I want to open for. Or like even here's where I want to get more inspiration from and feel like you're actually, sorry, I know I'm like on a rant right now, but that's sort of my- No, this is great. The summary summary point, and I think this is less true. We're down to rant. All right. DTR. DTR. The, the sort of the summary point that I kind of came up with is like, 
So no ID, who's like this legendary hip hop producer, always speaks in these like Yoda isms that are just like incredible. Every single one of them is brilliant. Uh, and I sort of, I sort of came up with one of my own that's sort of in his style. I'd say, I'll tell you some of his later if you want. But, but mine is, you know, music is like a conversation basically. Like it's it's a cultural conversation happening among musicians, right? And like if you have a really great point to make, it doesn't really matter what your point is if you're saying your point in French while everybody else is speaking English, right? It, like, it, like it could be the most brilliant thing in the world. It doesn't matter, you know? So to me, that's kind of like, you know, you're making, you're saying these great things, you know, for your soul and spiritually in this like Mariah Carey, like 1997 kind of thing. Okay. Well, like no one's listening. Like, it's just like right now people are listening to music at 160 BPM and they're listening to things that have 80, you know, it's like, and like, you know, if you're Ariana Grande and you're like so famous that you can actually be a little provocative and do some of that Mariah Carey shit. You're still going to find a way to do it. That's incredibly updated. Like, like, yeah, she sounds more like Mariah Carey than anything She's else. Incredible. But if you listen to that shit next to each other, like she doesn't sound that much like Mariah Carey. Production <laughs> doesn't sound anything like it. It's completely different. You know, there's nods to the shit, but it's not, it's very current. Like, a, like an obvious example is, of course, John Williams. You can hear his influence, what he was influenced by and everything, but you would never mistake it for anything other than John yeah, Williams. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's it's shinier and he's great. It is different though. Yeah, people always ask me if I want to do film music and I like really, really don't. But I always sort of say like, you yeah, know, maybe in case they like ask, but in case they like have a lot of money, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll do film music. Like one thing else I've noticed being in LA uh, <laughs> there's so many more organizations, meetings, and different groups, group meets in LA than New York. But one of the, the one of the most obvious things is who's working in production and pop and who's working in film just by looking at them because <laughs> the film people are so angry and like look so sad and tired. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that definitely checks out. And I mean, yeah, a lot of things that I assume are just true of LA in general are probably more just like music industry stuff. Music industry is very chill. I don't think film is that chill. And even like my friend's a director and I've like hung out with his friends and it's like, they remind me of like people I was like annoyed by in college. Like it's not, you know what I mean? It's not, whatever. Like some of them are good people, but as Trump would say, <laughs> some I assume and are some good Some of people. them are good people. Yeah. Johan, you come with the jokes, man. Mad props. What you were saying a little earlier about like trying to find your own lane, but also like fitting into yeah. the sonic conversation that's going on. Yeah, you got to do something unique. Guys. But yeah, you can't, it, it, it has to be like anchored. I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I've heard yeah. people say, like have like things like, oh, it's got to be 70% familiar, 30%. It's like, I hate, like you shouldn't be thinking about that hard. <laughs> no, I think you should just be immersed in music that's being re Google released sheets. right now and like be a fan of music that is moving the conversation forward if you have any interest in moving the conversation forward yourself. Like you can't, I don't, it's like the fucking, it's the same thing as I said about the French thing, but I mean, maybe a better example is even just like you walk in the party and like, 
some people are having like a 20 minute conversation. Actually, there's a fucking amazing key and peel about this where like, it's like, uh, I think it's Jordan, <laughs> Jordan walk, Jordan Peele walks into a conversation that two of his friends are having uh-huh. uh, about like politics in like Africa. And he just kind of comes in and just kind of like, Oh yeah. Like the lion King, you know? Like, <sighs> and they're just kind of like, <laughs> what? Uh, and he like tries to kind of, yeah. Uh, it's like, I feel like that's kind of how it feels sometimes if you walk into like, you know, like people really are aware of each other and are trying to push something forward as a culture. And I feel like if you just kind of come in with the like 2003 era shit with no awareness of why that's relevant or how that can be helpful to the conversation. Now you just sort of seem like an idiot. Man, it's, it's rough out here. What are you saying, Trevor? Yeah. And one thing. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, because I got an obvious delay. Like, I can see y'all's mouth oh, moving, great. but the audio is great. But the good thing is, because we're all recording separate, I can just move it, and we look like we're having a great time. <laughs> You're very synced <sighs> up right now. Perfect. Yeah, it's my yeah, it's my audio. I mean, that's just because I'm, like, doing some some interesting things over here to get both. But anyway, it's, uh, it's, hard, it's hard for me to jump in. But one one thing I give you credit for, and I think we, we kind of alluded to it because it's it's difficult to talk about and put like specific words to it. But one thing I thought that was successful about your music is that it's not trying to exist in that kind of that weird, what crossover area, which is like a tough, a tough area. to. Yo, you mean like Gabriel Kahane? Like so many things because it, it's kind of like, it, it, I think it's very hard to do. Like only very few people are very successful at it because you know, if it's like you're half-assing both to find yeah. one complete. I agree. I mean, I'm very, yeah, I'm very like uh respectful of like genres. Or maybe that maybe genres not even the word, but like just that there is like like classical music, whatever. We can talk about like my like endless, endless thoughts about like how to fix classical music if you're interested in that. But like, but I feel like Please. that briefly though, like that <laughs> world, like like I don't want to put classical music on pop music radio. Like I try I think it's like you gotta like look at the thing for what it is and what it does best and then figure out like what will be what what's ruining that or or like in, or fucking that up for people or like not at not serving that you know and i like i'm not trying to take a pop song and like ruin it by having like eight million key changes in it or some <laughs> shit i'm trying to make a pop song that like is cool and has stuff that i think is cool i'm not trying to take classical music and like ruin it by like fucking having like strobe lights and like in like fucking I don't know what's the worst version of this you've ever seen. You you know uh, what I'm talking twerking. about. Working like like guitar solo, like a heavy metal solo oh, and shit, which is fine. But you know I'm not Tr- trans Siberian orchestra. Yeah. I mean something's got to play on the weather channel. Yeah, and I mean that's fine. Oh. I'm, I'm glad people enjoy that shit. I, I really don't begrudge anything existing if people have a good time with it. But I just feel like yeah, I feel like the it's I don't know. I, I'm really buying a kind of I guess what I just said earlier. I, I want to move this shit forward and like there are things I want to do that I think most classical people wouldn't recognize as classical that I want classical to become, but it's, but I would never, it would never be a classical crossover or something else. Like I always wanted, and even Yeethoven, actually mm-hmm. we were very careful about this shit with Yeethoven that it was, it was a classical orchestra concert. There was no beats. There was no rapping. There was like no fucking, it was like literally like if, if you had just said it was new music and put it on like fucking a new like a new music orchestra concert i think it would have been like indistinguishable from other shit that played on and that was kind of our point i mean we did some stuff to make that work but 
like that. You know, it was like, we really just, we marketed it really well and had an idea. And then we got all these kids to fucking fill up this hall and just sit through a normal ass new music orchestra concert. And that to me is much more exciting than uh, putting some dumb ass. because you gave a damn about the storytelling. I think that's one of the biggest issues of classical music is that they don't, they're not, they, they seem incapable of, telling relatable stories, which just kind of blows my mind because how do you expect people to understand music that was written 300 years ago? Yeah. It's funny. I mean, the, the, you should, by the way, Trevor, you should butt in whenever you want. Just, just talk over me and I'll figure out that you're, that you're trying to talk. Okay. Because uh, I can the, see you were about to say something. In fact, what were you about to say earlier? Jump in. Like, I think we're just very much on the same page. It's just hard to get that both worlds, but I like that too. in that they both have different, they have different goals, different structures, different histories, different audiences. And it frustrates me when people kind of get confused and upset. Oh, like I brought my classical music into this pop sphere. It didn't yeah. work. It's just like, yeah, like your step, you're, you know, you're, you're, it's, you're trying to play basketball on the football yeah, field <laughs> while some stuff translates. Like some stuff translates. The compliment and testament to you is that uh, you can you hear your stuff on Spotify or on the radio and it's the real deal. It fits right in there. It's not like, hey, there's this classical guy trying to do yeah. pop music. It's like, no, no, this is pop music. And you can just tell, like, he's influenced by it. Yeah. You're, it doesn't seem like you're, like, too – you're not trying to be overly concerned, like, oh, I have to, like, show my classical roots yeah, or yeah. whatever. Hey, I've got this mental catalog I can bring with me to, like, help what I do. You're not trying to be the best of both and then succeeding Neither, at yeah. none. You're, you're, you're getting it. It's funny because people actually really want me, like in, in meetings, sometimes people will try to pitch my shit to like, we're, we're meeting with like some, you know, streaming partner or something. And they're just kind of like, yeah, he's kind of mashing up classical and pop music. And I'm just like, please do not say that. Like, but like on the pop music side, people actually <laughs> love that shit. Cause they like, they, it like tells them that they're like really smart yeah. for listening to their music. And then they listen to it and aren't punished for, you know, like it's not actually that interesting. Like it's totally, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. You were talking about you were talking about something earlier about uh, Drew. You were saying about the, um, the storytelling shit on the classical side, which is something I'm really interested in. Because, like, mm-hmm. cla- I mean, there is like this thing within composer like world that's like that the music is like fully contextless, like music for music's sake or whatever. Sometimes I don't know if people have kind of like gotten over that yet, but. You know, there's a resistance against like programmatic music because then what people are just sort of tracking the story and it's sort of like this weird wild goose chase or whatever. But like the fact is like most people who go to a symphony concert and enjoy it, like do so like in, like normies who just want to hear like Tchaikovsky and shit, like read the program notes and like <laughs> go in with some tidbit about like Tchaikovsky or like like you know, like they really want you to know that like Mahler's kids all died of typhoid or some shit before he wrote the symphony. Like they're actually like very into you know, <laughs> that, you know, which is like not that different from just like the context around pop music or whatever. Like it's sort mm-hmm. of funny that they're, uh-huh. you know, I feel like contemporary composers are more resistant to that because they think it's silly, but it is like, yeah, like, like not having a cult of personality around you is the dumbest thing you could possibly do as an artist, you know? Like you have to, like, that's like literally like who has ever not done that and been successful? Like name one, you know, it's about, the you brain. can name I, them because I, they had that. That's like, it's tautological, you know? Yes. Yes. And it's kind of like whenever you are not an expert in something, which is most people who are not, most people are not experts in classical music. So I find that if you can 
figure out how to take schema that people understand in their everyday lives and you connect it to something that's unfamiliar to them, that is a successful way of integrating this new, unfamiliar, uncomfortable art form. But if you, but if you don't give people the lifeline, I think it, and then you get mad when people don't understand, like it's people are, people have different, a wide range of life experience. And so um, one of my friends who's a bass player that I used to, to- that I used to play with, uh, with Sphinx Virtuosi, he once told me, he once said we were having an after concert uh, talk with some kids. And he said that, you know, it's so funny because music starts to mean more to you the older you get because the older you get, the more life experience you accumulate. And then the more profound your experience of consciousness becomes. And then you have more schema to then go back and relate to the music. And I think that if we deprive people of this connective tissue between a complex musical idea and something that's and, and like real shit, if we deprive them of that, like how can we expect them to, how can we expect to keep their attention? Yeah. And so that's why I think what you do is so wonderful. Um, well, I have this, yeah, I have this short, thank you. Yeah, no, that I'm, I'm with you. And I, I think I have this like thing I say sometimes it's like when I've started thinking about like what I really want classical music to look like in, in 50 years or whatever, like, yeah. like I, I think it's like sort of starts from the same point of what you're talking about, which is like the context the emotional connection on the music. Like, like if you walk down the street, like if a normal person walks down the street and sees like a cello player playing on the street, like that'll, that'll be like novel and interesting for like maybe a minute and then they'll kind of move on. But I mean, they will be like, you know, they'll stop and then they'll kind of be like, oh, that's cool. Uh, but like, if somehow you knew that it was like that dude was playing his like wife's favorite song and a year ago today, she like died, you know, mm. tragically, like you'll watch that for like five minutes, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's weird, but like that literally is it. Like, I I think you can get away with pretty abstract shit as classical music does. If there's like, people can fill in the context and I don't know what the pace of that needs to be, but I had this concept for a show that I actually did like a little sort of experimental version of this in New York a couple of years ago, just in somebody's apartment, but it was sort of building off of what I had done in school, but trying to make it more narrative and like, the big version, this was like a sort of a, we did a different story and a different thing to make it work in this setting. But the big version of it would be like, you get some uh, like young soldier who came back from Afghanistan or something who also happens to like play the trumpet or some shit of which I'm sure there's plenty of people who, for whom that would fit. And, you know, maybe they like experience a lot of crazy shit there and don't want to necessarily like give a Ted talk about that. But like they would like to express this to people. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, that is what in theory we're all saying our music is best at doing, right? This is a little, it's like it expresses the things that aren't quite expressible, you know, without you having to like, it's not an essay, you know, it's like a little more abstract, it's a little more, right. Mm-hmm. And it does, it's nonverbal except for opera, I guess, but you know, expression. Um, but like, if you could just have this guy do basically just like a trumpet recital on Broadway or something, <laughs> For an hour and a half, one act, like same like this, like stop or something. And it's like, you know, it sounds incredible. It's like contemporary music written for trumpet. It's like sort of like, you know, like, except like good, like not fucking like atonal nonsense, but just, you know, like something kind of like tight and good and like memorable and, and beautiful. And, 
you know, it's like a, it's an hour and a half piece for trumpet and like electronics or something. There's just like a backing track or some shit. And then there's like some actors and some projected imagery that kind of like tell a series of vignettes of like loose narrative that kind of tells a story of the shit that he would want to express, but he doesn't have to say anything. All he does is kind of like react to it in real time as if he's like, you know, in, like dreaming it or something. And like, mm. that's a show. And I, I think like that to me sounds like, you know, if you had a really charismatic performer, you know, you like Kevin KO or you, I mean, like any, just any really charismatic performer uh, to do it, who, you know, who has like some interesting story to tell, or maybe it's like a fictional story. And the story is told through like nonverbal media around. They're basically taking the program notes out of the program and putting it on the stage. And they're not describing a dead composer. They're describing the life of a person who you're connecting to directly on a stage. It like takes what I like about theatrical shit. And I feel like that could be like a massive commercial. I feel like that could just play in New York for like 10 years or something. The way like, whoa, stop and still playing. You know, I feel Dude, like- I hope y'all were listening to Johan right now because like, I really think that's a brilliant idea. And I think there, are, look, if you end up doing this idea, you need to give credit. You need to give Johan credit for this uh, because I, I really believe, <laughs> well, you can't, I can imagine a bunch of senior recitals looking like You this. can't, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, the version I think that would need to happen for it to really have the impact I want it to have would be really, really expensive, which is again, partly why I'm out here trying to be a pop star. So that it can be like <laughs> music by Johan. And then like, people are just like, Oh shit, it's going to be crazy. And then we get some amazing performer. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, maybe that's, you could do that. I mean, we probably could have done stuff like that at Yale and I just didn't have, I just, it wasn't coherent enough concept for me yet then it was those shows were much more just like throw a bunch of production design at a thing and see you know still but i think one thing that was true then and is still true of this concept is just like it's not music a company it's not i mean even fantasia is primarily about the story like the music is just background you know i mean it's Mm -hmm. very important to it but like this is about the music The, the main character is a musician there is no other theatrical shit going on it's just a person playing music for an hour and a half and then it's just sort of contextualized enough you know but like they're in the spotlight. I think it's really important that that stays that way. So there were uh, there's a couple like memorable performances that like stood in my mind as profound and kind of like shaped where I wanted to go with my music. And uh, and they were actually in in a very similar sphere. But a composer, Sarah Kirkland Schneider. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and then some other younger people like Jimma Peacock. But essentially, what they were doing, I remember going on their shows like right around like in the middle of grad school mm. or whatever. And I just remember being blown away because it was it was a show. It didn't feel like a concert. It felt like a show, and it wasn't it wasn't that much. It wasn't uh, it wasn't done up. It wasn't Broadway. It wasn't the Met where they're just throwing costumes. It was pretty simple. But musically, I think what was nice about it is it felt like more or less the true crossover. Not you would listen to it and you never think, oh, that's crossover. Like if you told someone, hey, this is like. Uh, a live performance of an album, a pop album, someone go in there and they'd be like, oh, that was a great pop album. If you told a new music person went in there, hey, this is new music, they'd be like, oh, that was great new music. Like right. it, it it did, again, a good, it really just, it was good. It yeah. was good. But what was impressive too was it felt like, it felt like a show. It felt like an album. And also a lot of that was production too. Like you can tell they spent hours and hours mixing. It wasn't meant to capture live. Them just doing a live, it was almost like a semi-acoustic set. But even then, they cared about the production, which is really, as you know, missing from classical music. Yeah. Like mixing in classical music, uh, you know, adding a a sine wave to the bass to beef it up. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) They treated it like an album. They treated it like an album. And it sounded fucking dope. 
This is what I want to do. There were images. They came up. They talked about it. It was personal. You felt something. It wasn't just a song cycle. It was it was something special. Yeah, I mean, I and I think like that kind of ties into this other thing. I was I'm kind of there's another idea I kind of have, which is like took me a while to figure out, but there is actually an audience for music that's just like weird and cool, which is way bigger than the classical audience. And like those people listen to like James Blake and Grimes and uh, fucking FKA Twigs, whose last album was like borderline contemporary <laughs> classical music in a lot of places, you know, a lot of it was so out there. Yeah. Like, um, and you know, there's a reason like bands like the national or whatever, like uh, grizzly bear have crossed over a little bit into that world. Like there is affinity between these people and like, you know, fans of like Nico Muley or fans of Bryce Dessner's classical might actually be fans of indie rock. And like now indie rock is kind of like, that's a thing from like 20 years ago now. And I feel like no one really gives a shit, but like there's other interesting music coming up. That's like the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. Like, I mean, even James Blake has kind of like reached sort of like veteran status, but there's interesting stuff coming up. It's much younger. There's a dude named JPEG Mafia who's incredible. Who just makes like the weirdest production designy hip hop shit ever. Um, and so this, check him out. Yeah, yeah, please. You have to send me something. I will. Please, I will. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so like an idea I had because me and Yuga have now have this series at Lincoln Center. I mean, it's not really been announced, but we basically can just do two concerts there a year at least Whoa. for a few years i mean now it's like probably pushed back a year but like a fall and a spring Sweet. just doing whatever we want kind of like building off of the stuff we had done with yeetoven but yeetoven we were taking interesting pop music and contextualizing it as if it were classical to make a point about like what makes something classical or not i guess right but this we really wanted to for the first concert of this next one we really wanted to push a lot further and just be like well, if we're really saying that there's musicians in the pop sphere who are like great at writing incredible, interesting instrumental music, like why don't we just commission those people to write new orchestral music, you know? And like, sure, like you would need some like copyist arrangement help probably since they wouldn't know how to like write an oboe mm-hmm. part or whatever. But like, I think they could do a, like most of the work and like, you know, there's people in the classical world who I won't name who pretty much play their music into logic and have a copyist fix it for them anyway. So it's not like mm-hmm. this would be any different from that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean like, so whatever we, we, I like talked to James Blake about doing this and he was like into it. And like, we, so I, we, once we get him, you can get everybody. So this was going to be the thing in October and we'll, we'll get it in a year or two. But like, but what I liked about that concept is like you get, again, it's like, well, okay. There's a bunch of things. One, we were going to have like, other classical composers on it, like Ellen Reed, Pulitzer Prize winner, like, you know, probably gets mm-hmm. try to get Sarah or one Snyder, people like that, yeah. on it, you know, <laughs> so that like the classical press is forced to review it and then like, de- like forced to like deny that James Blake is writing classical music, you know, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like just, just like, <laughs> conf- you know, try to explain what stupid chauvinistic shit they have against that idea, you know, or JPEG mafia, you know, uh, or Grimes or whoever it is. Um, and then, Obviously, on the other side, the benefit is that you get all these fans who really are, in my opinion, the exact people that could be fans of contemporary classical music coming to a concert, which, again, we don't do any lighting or any weird shit. It's literally just an orchestra on a stage playing contemporary music. And, like, there's a piece by James Blake and there's a piece by, you know, whatever. And now you have all these fans who, A, are maybe considering classical music i mean i don't think they're going to go to a beethoven concert next week but like if you do enough of these you start to see like oh this is like a medium yeah. that's actually like making interesting shit maybe they get into you know david lang or sarah Kermit or something like that next nico whatever mm-hmm. um and then and then the producer there's probably a ton of young producers who are fans of a james blake or a jpeg mafia who now if they start to see a lot of their favorite artists working with orchestras start to see that as something they want to do later in their life 
And maybe when they go to school, they study classical composition. And so, you know, it's like, it's starting to, it's just bridging back to like, where is the world that is currently interesting, exciting music that like the contemporary classical music should be a part of. And like, basically just like, how do you like sort of connect that shit back together? And that's not really crossover to me. It's more like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's like growing the two different plants in the same pot. I guess it's, it's also yeah. just b- believing that contemporary classical music maybe actually has more in common with like experimental electronic music than it does with Beethoven yeah. and Tchaikovsky. Stockhausen, bro. Stockhausen, bro. Stockhausen, bro. That's, that's one thing uh, Drew and I are always talking about is that it's fascinating like how most people like they don't know they're listening to experimental super out there stuff like pull up any recent like uh, any of the recent Kendrick albums there's quarter tones in there there's super out there stuff that by all means would be new music if you presented yeah. it in that light and people eat it up they love yeah, it exactly the new music people are the least a lot of them are the least open to yeah so things. it's like what you got to sort of just look at the different what is okay so in a lot of cases like those albums rely on vocals and so if you take that away then you're definitely in a more experimental realm but there is there are big non-vocal driven projects that have big audiences and, you know there's, there's clearly an audience for this shit I'm so glad we're having this conversation. Hell yeah. I love talking about this shit. Man, it's so difficult to reckon with how conservative the the institutional side of classical music is, which unfortunately it it owns so much of the market share of the actual people who consume it, right? Yeah. So it's kind of you're, you're left beholden to people who refuse to innovate and then as a result, our art form is just kind of like withering away, man. Yeah. I mean, it's weird too, because like on one level, I feel like people say sometimes that uh, statistically, I think like more people listen to classical than ever, just because like it, really? you can stream it everywhere. And like, like just in terms yeah. of pure numbers, there's probably more people listen to it than ever in the least worldwide. It's like way bigger in Asia than it ever was before kind of thing. But I can see that. But yeah, I don't know. Like I just, you know, I grew up in America and like what I care about is like, or like certainly what's closest to my heart is just thinking about my friends who I grew up with or my friends in college or friends in music school and just wanting them to be able to like fulfill their dreams of playing music 
um, like to an audience that gives a shit and like not being broke and, mm-hmm. you know, like doing what we all wanted to do in the first place, which was just make awesome music and have crazy concerts and have people think that shit was awesome and not just have it be like this increasingly depressing thing for the benefit of like old rich people. And You spoke briefly around. We're still, uh, are we still recording? Cause I'm going to save all my good yeah. shit if we're not. Okay, good. Yeah, no, 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 no. We no. Great. We're, we're still well, recording. I'm still recording we don't, audio, we don't so. stop. Yeah, me too. We don't stop. So, what other was there a particular summer festival like experience that you had that like kind of like changed your whole game? Uh, was there one summer you could point back to that was like really formative in terms of like you solidifying this this doctrine of like you want to make dope music with people that you love because you want to yeah. What, where did that come from? I think it was just always the fact that I was like, I mean, I went to like normal public school. Like I didn't go to like the Walnut Hill school or something. So I wasn't. So when, when I first got into classical as like comp- composition, it was like, I was in this, it was like this weird other world that was just like what I did on Wednesday evenings for like an hour, you know, or like I would go to my lesson and then, you know, it was kind of just like a hobby or whatever. And then I think it became like that community became really real for me with, with going to like the Tanglewood high school booty thing, like three years. And or like, I just like, cause each, it was, they have a whole orchestra worth of kids there and a whole choir worth of vocalists. So you, you'd meet like 200 new people there every summer. And I was in oh, six yeah. weeks. So you can really get to know like a lot of people if you're yeah. kind of a, uh, I don't know, social butterfly i guess which uh, was me at the time and uh yeah i just it was just i felt yeah i don't know it was it was fucking can you point back to one though oh, oh i mean i'm sorry well no no no. so i mean i guess like my point is more that like once i really established that yeah that sort of started making me hold on i know i have i have a good story for this Tell me. Okay. Yeah. Take your time. <laughs> no, it's not a good story, but it's like a good, I have a good explanation at least. Like, like throughout high school, I think I kind of maintained those as two worlds, like the summer programs and then the, you know, the high school, and the high school kids weren't into the shit at all. Right. They all like respected me as a musician and they thought I was, they were like, oh, go Steven, whatever. But it wasn't like, like, you know, whatever. It's just still, it was like two separate worlds. They didn't really know that what I was doing. And exactly. When I got to Yale undergrad, I really thought, cause I was an idiot. I thought that everybody there was going to be like really into <laughs> classical music. And like they, they had, they had, there's a couple things that kind of maybe like every, if you apply to Yale, the tour guides always tell the students this and it's, or all those spec, you know, uh, prospective students this, and it's true uh, that every October on Halloween, the, the entirety of the school pretty much, or at least like half the school, like 2,500 people, Phil's Woolsey Hall, which is the big auditorium, obviously, for to see the orchestra do a concert on Halloween. Everyone gets fucking blackout drunk and goes Damn, to see this orchestra that's concert. Awesome. Yeah. So like they kind of tell you shit like that, and you're like, oh, it sounds like everyone's like really into just I guess they're into classical or just at least very open minded or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> of course the <laughs> They're really, uh, yeah, right. First of all, they're blackout, but like, whatever. I, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm down to play an orchestra concert for blackout people, I suppose. But like, me but like too. the concert, uh, the concert like is basically just like a movie now. Like they, they direct and film a movie and then they like score it live. So it's a silent film starring the kids in the orchestra. And it's like kind of funny and, and they do a good job, but it's like, 
it's just like little things like that where you just and so you kind of get there and I'm just like the first year I was really unhappy and I, I would I was actually going to like Juilliard every weekend to hang out with my boy Colin Brooks basically and get really <laughs> high and like drown in my sorrows you know him Drew he's a violist I Kyle what's his last name I don't Colin I don't know Brooks Colin yeah Colin he's in Brooks. some quartet that like wins a ton of shit but he's super good dude he's honestly I must have missed him what year was this he I mean he's my age so he's thirty one but he uh. Yes, yeah, so I was. Well, yeah, so he's awesome, and yeah. I was just like, I, I just didn't enjoy Yale because I just felt like I had like given up on the chance to like go to a music school, and I was just surrounded by people who didn't really give a shit about music. And like the YSO did have this like kind of club, but I just realized like people yelled and like they were kind of lame in the social scene. <laughs> yeah, like they weren't running shit. Like it was just this weird nerd shit kind of. <laughs> and I yes, yeah, so, I mean that was kind of the beginning of. I mean, I, I, I always had this idea of like oh, I want classical music to be, do more to reach general audience. I think that was based on this like discrepancy that I was experiencing in high school, but I think it became very real for me when I was just like wanting to engage in the social life of the school I had, you know, got started at and, you know, like, and then just like, like so that's when I was like, I need to come up with this show. And like, I saw this experimental dance show called, it was called www.underland. <laughs> and it was like, Alice in Wonderland, but it takes place <laughs> in the internet. And it was just like an it was just like a dance show with a lot of projected images. And I was just like, ah, oh, this is fucking crazy. Like I could just do this, but just replace the dancers with like cello players. That's hilarious. So basically like like it would be Whoa. it would be it would be as entertaining as this. And it was pretty good. I mean, it was sort of like incoherent, and so was my attempt. But that was uh, that was really when it clicked. And then sophomore year, like the minute I got to school, sophomore year, I started planning this. Originally I was gonna do a group and then it eventually just turned into this one big show that was sophomore year, and that was kind of when I, when I really started making this my fucking thing. Wow. But, but there's, I mean, there's other aspects of this too. Like I did acapella groups throughout Yale and I had done acapella groups in high school. And like, I got to Yale and like the first day I was there, everyone was just like, oh, are you going to do acapella groups? And I was like, no, nah, I did like acapella groups in high school. Like, do I really <laughs> need to do more acapella groups? Like, I feel like, stop. I feel like, I feel like I'm good on that shit. And then like, you know, in the first three days of school, when everyone's like auditioning for something, figuring shit out, I was just hearing everybody talking about who's auditioning for what acapella group. And I heard that guy's going to get in. I heard some the, good things. The thing, whiff you know, and like, poofs. I was just like, oh, shit. Or, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. So <sighs> I just kind of like was just like, <laughs> I got to do that because that's the thing that's, you know, it's like I really wanted to exist. And I think maybe that looking back on that is just sort of like I'm interested in engaging with whatever the discourse is like and i think to the point you were when you were uh away just now uh trevor we were just talking about how like I, some people say that i think that statistically like classical music is the most popular it's ever been because like streaming numbers are like internationally just massive compared to what it ever would have been in the past but like what i care about is just like is this having any impact on like culture in america like is this even seen as culturally important by people who, you know like is it part of the discourse or not and like that's the thing that i don't think and I think you can, there's, there's tangible data points you can look at that show that that's been in steady decline over the past hundred years. And like, that's the thing that I'm missing. More people are listening to classical and classically influenced things now than ever. Because I mean, all it takes is going to one, even something more directly besides like, obviously like film, like think about it. More people alive now have heard classical music or like heavily classical things uh, everyone can recognize some John Williams tune or some film tune. People people get lit for a Hans Zimmer yeah. concert or a Game of Thrones live playing 
but that's true. I, I don't personally count that shit as classical, but yeah, I, I feel, yeah. But that's my that's <laughs> sure that's do. my segue. Is the problem is it gets back into that categorization because would any of them consider classical music? Isn't it? It had a different goal too, uh, and so like the actual institution let's just go to a classical music concert is definitely in decline. You just look at the metrics when it probably doesn't have to because so many other music genres are thriving. There's like very easy examples of this shit, like you know, like. I think Copeland visited the White House. Stravinsky definitely visited the White House. Like they, like they were just big cultural ambassadors who, like, presidents would want to have visit the White House to show that they were like into culture. You know, like, like if you're if you're Obama, like Obama's not going to invite fucking like, <laughs> Elliot Carter. Like he's going to he invited like he's like Stevie Wonder. You know, and like that is seen, okay. that is high culture now. Stevie Wonder and Kendrick Lamar, and like when Kendrick won the Pulitzer Prize, that was a huge win for my whole yeah shtick or whatever. And it was funny watching a lot of the classical composers, like they were split, right? Some of the older ones were kind of like, oh, fuck, this, this is rap. You know, rap is crap, like just clearly <laughs> racist idiot, idiots, right? But then but then on the bottom, the sort of the younger side, everyone's like, hell yeah, this is great. This is like this. And it's like, yeah, but they're both wrong because it's like the, the, the racist people are wrong because just like they're just like out of touch with culture in general. The the younger people who are endorsing that don't realize that like they don't have a future. Yeah, that opens it up. Like the Pulitzer Prize is the only <laughs> fucking thing left. Like that's like if the Pulitzer Prize doesn't go to composers, then there really isn't anything left that anyone gives a shit about. There's the American <sighs> Academy of Arts and Letters. There's the Kennedy Center, which mostly awards like Led Zeppelin shit now. They don't care anymore, right? And by the way, I'm saying those people are all correct. Like those are the things <laughs> that are like that you would want to <laughs> award for cultural importance in this country. Like classical music yeah. isn't culturally important, and like. This should be like this fucking wake up call for people, you know, and not that like Kendrick Lamar shouldn't get that, but like y'all should try harder, you know, really like wow. on the classical side, you know. Hey, that film was really good. Let's give the Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. Like, no, no, no. Like if it did, it actually do. We have enough awards to go around. You can be pretty specific. You know, we're not going to give uh, Olympic gold medals to something. Well, it, it happened. I mean, it happens in a lot of shit like. Poetry people complain. Yep. Like, I think Bob Dylan won the yep. poetry Nobel a few years ago, and all the poets were just like, I mean, cool, but like that's not poetry. Like, what is it? Yeah, so singers, I, I agree. You know? And and I'm and I'm kind of with them, but at the same time, like, I don't know, maybe like you should just go fucking make that type of shit if you if you want to have an impact, you know? Like how many people are really reading your poem? Like how much of it I'm like and that's not that people shouldn't do it, but I think what it comes down to for me is that like maybe this is like the fundamental thing, like Throughout music school, I feel like everybody's basically just lied to and sort of and then like eventually you have to kind of start lying to yourself about how important this shit is because it sucks. Like it's it's hard. And like in order to feel like it's worth it to like practice the fucking flute for like <laughs> eight hours a day playing like Strauss excerpts or some shit, you have to think that like Ransom Wilson, who's like the best flute player in the world or whatever, is famous. You actually have to think that that guy's a celebrity. And when he comes through, they like parade it's him like around. The like they don't let people the talk Beatles to him. Like they, yeah, it's like they like maintain this whole fucking thing, even though no one in the general public <laughs> would have any idea who these people are or give the slightest shit, you know? And it's like, that's the lie. And so then I think people start to come out of school and like a lot of people end up just quitting classical as they sort of start to realize that none of that shit was true or they sort of like stay in it or are very frustrated by it or like, you know, they kind of accept it and like are lucky enough to get a good orchestra job and that's it. But like, those things aren't what they thought they were getting into. They thought they were getting into this shit to be a rock star. Like I, a lot of people, I think, you know, or maybe they got into it so young that it was just like, here, do this and this, but, you know. Well, it's like you're surrounded by a it bunch of really people who care about it. So obviously <laughs> it must be a big deal. And then you get out there. I mean, walk around the street. 
Be yeah. like, hey, do you know who John Adams is? And hell, they might not even know that that was a president. <laughs> like, Most people don't. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I post about this shit sometimes on Facebook. You probably comment on these, but like, <laughs> Like, who is a composer everyone can name? Like, I don't think most people off the street can name Hans Zimmer. More likely yeah. in L.A. than most places, but still, I think it'd be less than half for sure. John Williams, same. They could sing his songs or themes, but they, w- they wouldn't know who he is. Like, Philip Glass, I think, like, at best, like, 20% of the American groups would know who that yeah, is. Yeah, you'd be like J.S. Bach, and it'd be like, he's the guy who did, you know, the the David statue, right? Like, they don't all know. Like, yeah, but they'd at least have heard of him. They'd, they know who Bach <laughs> is. They know who Beethoven is. They'd know who, like, Old dead guys. Mozart is. They know these names, at least. But they wouldn't, oh. there aren't any contemporary people they would know. Like, that shit isn't penetrating in any meaningful way into the discourse, and I guess that's why. I don't know. It's not like fame is the standard, but, like, at least just, if classical musicians were more comfortable with the idea that you're just making weird niche shit for like you know it's like like the same way like early music people are it's just like we all know that they're just doing some weird <laughs> shit and that there's no no one has any illusions that it like means anything you know it's, it's just like they do it because they think it's think, cool and like that's totally fine but there's no like lie about this being somehow we're like culture. total like, agreement i think that's one of the and me and drew talk about this a bunch i think one of the biggest things is just like uh self-awareness and like understanding of the reality is like people where, where so much of the frustration gets is because you spend so many years, so many hours in this craft. And so you expect that you just feel that that needs to be the return, but that's just not what either the market or the reality yeah. of the situation is yeah. going to give you. And until you accept that, like, hey, I'm, you better do this because you love this or because you like the process or something and the music. But like, you can't be, you unless you're going to do something about it, you can't be angry that that's the result you get. Yeah, I mean, a huge and a huge motivation for me is just wanting to create the pipeline for kids who are studying that music, like like create the incentives so that kids in conservatories start to see this as the like, oh, actually, I, I could go do that. It's not just like I'm going to play in Broadway pit orchestras, which suck, or I'm going to go play, try to get an orchestra job, you know, or like occasionally the cooler kids are like, I'm going to start a new music group. And like, that's really fucking hard, too. But at least, you know, they're like they know it's hard and they're doing it because they like it. Yeah, or whatever. But yeah, like ideally there would be a direct conduit into doing something that's musically fulfilling and actually reaches an audience and actually pays like union scale or whatever, you know, like, you know, and like that's I I would like to do that. And then I would like other classical musicians to like figure out like how to improve on whatever my version of it looks like. I'm not trying to make the thing in my image. I'm just trying to I just feel like no one else is going to do a big of enough shift that could make that possible and show the way forward for. So that like some young composer actually is now thinking about a commercial audience for their shit on some level. This is the place to do it. Maybe I'm also just like too capitalistic with it. This is the place to do it, bro. Build it here. And that's the cool thing about music and just about communities in general. If you make a piece of art that works well in a community, you can export it. If it works well, once it's exported, then the model can be repurposed for other places. <laughs> yeah, they can rip it off. I mean, yeah. whatever, Elon Musk has like revealed himself to be like a no, fucking idiot. Just but, like, follow his Twitter. Respect. <gasps> what? His Twitter. That's well, such a loaded statement. What? <laughs> well, just, I mean, I guess it's like if, you, if you're not on Twitter, you might not hear. Yeah, it, may, yeah. it might be purely limited to Twitter, but he's just like a, a horrible like MAGA fucking nut job on Twitter who just like is, is really into like internet memes. And I mean, he's not like explicitly, but he's just very like anti-union. He just says the weird, he's just really, really like not suited for the moment. Yeah, I've heard him on Joe Rogan. And yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I've liked, I've liked yeah. interviews of his. I think when he stays on the topic of just like innovation shit, I'm usually pretty into it. Yeah, but, dope, but, yeah. but, but, but like, I mean, you know, just in terms of like Tesla or whatever, like, you know, he, he got really rich with the PayPal shit and then, and then 
used his like platform and money to to like help build mm-hmm. Tesla into like what it is mm-hmm. now, rather than going to work for GM or whatever, you know. And then GM had to make oh, like now they're all making electric cars because like Tesla showed it as like a marketable <laughs> thing. Like that is to me, it's like the PayPal is my then, like pop yeah, startup. Then SpaceX, the next the Tesla is this thing I'm talking about, and then ideally all these other classical orgs just start rethinking yeah. what they're doing or like new, yeah. you know, like I don't think if I go and work for like the New York Phil, I will ever be able to do They'll never anything interesting at all. Yeah. Now. Well, I mean, as someone who's worked for the, the Phil and other Juilliards and other institutions. Yeah. I mean, like you definitely see that it's, it's very hard to do anything internal. And then it's kind of nice having people, you're, you're going to need people both on the inside it's politics. Yeah. Both on the inside yeah. trying to enact change and people on the outside uh, protesting to enact change. Baby. Like, yeah. It's and, got, and hitting it from both sides. Campaign. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, or grass, yeah, or just, yeah, just like building the alternative. Yeah. From scratch, basically. Yeah. Rather than trying to change minds within a thing. But yeah, I mean, we're fortunate with our Lincoln Center situation that we have what you described. Like, they really are down to let us do whatever the fuck we want, like, and pay for it. And like, that's really great. But even then, it's like, you're very limited by like what they have the institutional knowledge to even like execute unless you're going to rehire all the staff too. And there's nothing to say there's wrong, you know, but it's like, if I want to do like the show I described earlier with the trumpet guy or whatever, mm-hmm. like the, like that's a level of production design that they wouldn't have any idea how to even start thinking about, you know, and it would exactly. probably cost a lot more than the shows we're doing with them. So that's why we, we were always trying to come, come up with like interesting concepts that are like, that are like, provocative and will blow up on the internet ideally and fill the hall without even really needing to spend on marketing, but which like logistically are just like an orchestra on a stage or like just some, just not in any way, you know, a logistical or keep that part of it kind of conservative, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much sure, in it's in the, in the framing, like the location we've talked about, like some people think yeah. it's, you know, if just by going and doing it in a bar, like that's enough, but I've I've seen I've seen some successful things, and like often it really comes back down to marketing. Uh, now becoming not a not as much of a dirty word in classical music. Mm-hmm. Like seeing what they they talk in schools, like your career services, like they're they're coming around to it, being like, hey, getting back to our earlier subject of the artist and how we're interested in their story. Like anyone who likes Kanye, Beyonce, uh, the weekend, anyone you 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 like them too. You can love their tracks, but you know you're you're buying in the persona and yeah, classical musicians. Yeah. Classical musicians are obsessed with the persona of all the other composers, people, but yeah. yet, yeah, all all dead white people, German dead white people. <laughs> in re, but like somehow, like there's yeah, some of the performers do it. I mean, Yuzha Wang or what, like Josh Bell do some of that. I mean, I think they kind of yeah, like I think they are successful because of that. I don't mm-hmm. think that they're they're not like or like Ray Chen or whatever, who's the homie. Actually, Ray Chen was that summer too. <laughs> yeah, he was. That's I got I him. I got him high for the first time in his life. <laughs> no way. Yeah, me That's and Alex history. Barstow, another violist he, who you must have known there. Uh, That's history. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Uh, but, wow. But but like yeah. you know they're they're they all have like they're they're doing better because they're doing what you're saying. But I still it's like I would like to push it a lot. Like it's not an artistic image like their image or like two set or whatever. Like the image just kind of like if you think practicing is a meme, yeah, you'll enjoy our practicing. It's like. Yeah, yeah. And like, and I think they like do really well within, you know, what they can do there. But it's like, it's very like inward facing sort of 
humor and imaging. It's not, it's not, that doesn't appeal to just music fans. That appeals to musicians. To a very specific yeah. niche, most likely going to school for it. But I mean, we could, we could, we didn't even get in to even like talking about like the albums and the music. Cause I know we're, we're going to obviously have you back on because we could talk oh, for sure. like 400 down. hours. Bro, this was like one yeah, of my two favorite. Hour and six minutes. Minutes. Bro, this was insane. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so I'm glad you down. came by. I have, man. I have strong opinions. This is insane, no, but unsurprising. No, I'm, so, I'm, yeah. We won't want to keep you so keep you waiting anymore. Oh, I'm fine. Plus, yeah, I need whatever. A refill. Yeah. Okay, I need a refill. So <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to save something yeah. the next time. But yeah, Johan, where where do we where can people who aren't familiar with your music where can they find you? Where do you right now? Um, yeah, it's Johan J O H A N Lennox L E N O X, and it's uh, you know just if you just put that in on Spotify or anywhere else. And I have a an EP out right now called Cancel the Party, which has a few like emo rappers on it and a ton of cello and uh, some <laughs> and I'm singing throughout and people seem to enjoy it a lot. So hopefully I personally enjoy I, I uh, playing that video with you, bro. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Drew is in a, we did like a chamber sort of remix kind of of one of the songs. Yeah. But it's not <laughs> classical music. That's remember. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I refuse. And people are like, "Can we call it the classical version?" I'm just like, "No, it's not. <laughs> no, there's, there's nothing classical about this. this Unplugged, <laughs> except you. You have a mic, but <laughs> yeah, there's so but, many. It's, it's challenges, dude. Yeah, I fucking love it, man. So yeah, we're you're cool. definitely coming back in. And then whenever sure. like uh, the National Guard leaves and like we get a vaccine, maybe we'll meet in person. <laughs> sure, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> Whichever one comes first. Food. We usually treat our guests to lunch, dinner. Uh, so we do you guys usually do these in person. Yeah, we do these in person. Huh. Yeah, it's my, it's a it's a hang. It's a it's a real. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm super down for that. That'll that yeah. one will be like four hours though, if we do it. I'm just that, oh, that's oh, what we want. Yeah, we just we just that's what I say. We you, just let us record. You can cut this down too if you want. <laughs> no, just let bro, it go. It's bathroom it's breaks it all. We're gonna we're gonna add it. We're gonna add some sound effects. You know, just. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be a good break to feature your music but all right man hell yeah this 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 will go on forever and it will so we're gonna have you back on so so i will Thanks uh for joining us. yeah thank you all right man peace I'll send you that audio yeah peace yeah man send us the audio peace. next time man i got no crew again i'm missing you again i'm trying like a sauna smoking marijuana but i do what i wanna you're the one again You at the club again You with a ton of men And chasing fun again I could never be there I could never be there Pulling up in too expensive clothes Switching up the molly for the blow They stay spending money, I stay home Maybe I'm just missing something What do they know? Does anyone know? Walking the event like they all got the invite Everybody's cool but me I ain't got no Lambo, think I miss that memo Everybody's cool but me Yeah, I just do my thing, you could join my team We could have a drink or three But you stay doing too much, I'm just thinking too much Everybody's cool but Cool by me